Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing, fly ball, wallop, Jordan Walker, deep left center field. That ball is gone. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Jordan Walker just keeps hitting. He's back in the lineup today for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, man, it doesn't matter who you listen to. You could listen to Mike Claiborne earlier today on the morning show. You can listen to John Ditton, who told us this last week. Katie Wu yesterday. Everybody that is following the team right now down in Jupiter, Alex, says the same thing. If spring training ended today, Jordan Walker would be on the roster. And now people are taking it a step further. It would actually shock most people if Jordan Walker doesn't open the season on the Cardinals opening day roster. And I think that's the right way to approach it. I think that you have a manager that's smart enough to make this thing work with four outfielders. I I think you have a manager that's making it work with Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan. Everybody's going to get their opportunities. But let's take this a step further, Alex. We're all very excited about Jordan Walker, right? I think that's fair to say. We all think he's going to be a pretty darn good player for the St. Louis Cardinals. Next Albert Pujols, I heard. There's a potential for him to be a legit all-star caliber player as soon as within the next couple of seasons. Arizona has one of those types of players as well. His name is Corbin Carroll. Now, Corbin Carroll is actually rated even higher than Jordan Walker on most of the national publications when it comes to the prospect rankings. And Corbin Carroll was recently in the news as well. Arizona decided to get in early on Corbin Carroll, gave him an eight-year contract that will tie him to the Arizona Diamondbacks for the next eight years with a potential ninth club option for $111 million. Alex, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask T-Bone, I want to ask the audience today. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved in the show. Would you be in favor of the Cardinals prior to seeing Jordan Walker take a single major league at bat, offering Jordan Walker an eight-year deal worth $111 million? Would you be in favor of that today? Absolutely. Absolutely, because you don't get what you're getting right now from Jordan Walker very often. And I don't, Jordan Walker doesn't seem like the type of guy that has one great season and then becomes the, you're going to have to pay me $50 million a year if you're going to lock me up. But if I have an opportunity to make sure and solidify the fact that I've got a player for the next eight to nine years with a club option on that and not paying a whole lot, considering this guy could get to all-star status in his first season, rookie of the year status. Uh, Yeah, I would absolutely lock this one up. I just went back and looked at this because the comp that I've been hearing a lot of was, oh yeah, but look at Dylan Carlson's first season. What if you would have locked Dylan Carlson up before he took one major league at bat? 
Dylan Carlson wasn't hitting what Jordan Walker is hitting in his first ever spring training with the team on a consistent basis. I mean, this guy is slugging over 700 and he's got an over 1200 OPS. So yeah, if I could, if he'd be willing to do it, I would lock him up for eight to nine years. So I know that that position in my outfield is set moving forward. T-bone. I know that you never want to sign anybody like you might as well just say never sign a contract extension unless the man has already hit free agency. That's what I'm saying. Would you be interested in favor of the Cardinals giving Jordan Walker an eight year deal worth one hundred and eleven million dollars today? No, no way in hell would I of give course. him this contract right now. I, I want to see him at the big league level. He is the one player that after the season, if he puts together a really good campaign, then I would be willing to go to the table with contract talks of a contract extension. But I would not do it before he stepped on the baseball field at Bush Stadium. So, so you think a guy who's hitting 424 through spring training thus far in a 1,200 OPS is just going to be meh, average once he hits the major I, leagues? I think that we're not, though he's been great and belongs on this team and has impressed the hell out of me, I will say, and not, look, I'm the guy that reads into everything in spring training. Hmm. T-Bone 3's daily on my Twitter account, at T-Bone11ESPN. I, I look at this, though, and I say that, okay, I have to see it at the big league level first because we haven't seen a hole in his swing yet, but I'm interested to know if that comes once he starts seeing the major league pitchers on a constant basis. Because right now you can get a mixed bag to where you can see Garrett Cole one day where we saw him turn that pitch into left field off the bat at like 100 miles an hour. But then you could be getting some double air that he saw last year as well. So when he starts seeing Major League Baseball consistently and then a scouting report starts to come out on him from the Major League staff and then those pitchers start to make the adjustment, how does he adjust back? So I don't want to give him this kind of contract extension until I've seen him for a full year at the big league level in year one. And if he plays well and he's a guy that looks like he is competing for the NL Rookie of the Year, then yeah, I would potentially be willing to give him a contract extension then because I think he does have the upside of being one of the best players in baseball, but I don't want to give it to him before he hits the field. There's too much that can happen between now and then. I would do it because it locks me into cost certainty. It makes it easier for me to build around Jordan Walker. Now, you don't need to do this right now. Let's make that very clear. The Cardinals aren't a team that's going to potentially lose a player like Jordan Walker because he prices himself out of the market. If Jordan Walker is great the way that they think, the Cardinals have always stated this. It is our job as an organization to make sure that we can re-sign that player. We build around that player. We make sure that they are here long term. They did that with Albert Pujols. Of course, he ended up taking the money elsewhere. But first, they gave him that big contract. They did that with Yadier Molina. They've done it with Adam Wainwright. These legacy players typically start and in here if the Cardinals have anything that they can do about it. So I don't think it's necessary for them to do it right now. But... I would get out in front of it. I would want to make this work because what's the downside on an eight-year deal worth $111 million? I know that sounds crazy to just like say, hey, $100 million, that's nothing. It's something, but it's like $13, $14 million per year, guys. Look at the players around Major League Baseball that if you go into an offseason, you're expecting to see them get $13, $14 million a year. I mean, you're talking about like Steven Matz, that level of starting pitcher. In the outfield, you're talking about a like a lefty masher. Like that would be the Jock Peterson market. It would be 13, 14 plus million dollars per season. That's less than what Kyle Schwarber got after his big season as a left-handed hitter. Guys that get this kind of money are like six hole hitters typically on good teams or mid to back end of the rotation starters. And you'd be locking in Jordan Walker 
who at least could profile as a middle of the order hitter for you. So for me, I would do it now. But Tanner, I do think what you're saying has some validity to it, which is, are you really getting that much of a discount right now? One. And do you need to do it right now? Like what, what's the what's the worst case scenario if you don't? My argument would be the best case scenario is you save yourself like 50 million bucks and you end up being able to build a better team around him as a result. Let me ask you guys this. Do you think it's crazy to say that Jordan Walker could be hitting by next season somewhere between your two and five spot in your lineup? I don't think it's crazy to say that by the middle of the season, he could be batting second for you. Then what, so no. then what does it hurt to have him locked up for the next eight to nine years at $13 million? If you know that by next season, or if you're going under BK's premise sometime this season, but as a consistent, just like you do with Goldie and Arenado, where you say they're going to be batting 3-4, if you're saying that with Jordan Walker by next season, what does it hurt your team if you lock him up to a nine-year deal or an eight-year deal for $13 million? I still view it as risky just because there's so much that can happen between here and then, but I to counter that, just the money point of it, I mean, he's going to be like making league minimum and instead of making $3 million and you go, well, $3 million, who cares? Well, that's the little bit of money that can go towards the team for the next handful of years. And I, to BK's point on what they did with Albert Pujols, I would kind of play it out. And he's one of those players to where if he ends up being an absolute stud MVP candidate, you don't let him go. You find a way to work out a contract. And I do think the Cardinals would do that. So I would just play it out with him through right now through the arbitration process again if he has a stellar year he's rookie of the year and you see all those tools come to uh fruition throughout the baseball season then yes i would probably go to the contract table then and i don't think it would end up going from you know this corbin carroll deal to even way beyond that to where you can't sign him to a contract extension i still think it'd be very similar it'd probably be a little bit pricier but i i would just wait it out because of the cost control that you have and what it allows you to do to your team with the extra three then five then eight million dollars you're saving per year we all agree aaron judge good player right yeah he's yeah, pretty good pr- pretty so, good so. do you know how much aaron judge prior to his new contract made it in his major league career any guesses on what his his major league career earnings were prior to this upcoming season. He went through the arbitration process, went right? Went through the arbitration process, hit free agency this past offseason. So he had his entire rookie deal with the Yankees. And let me give you some of his, like, this is what he was able to do on that rookie deal. Was second in the MVP as a rookie, finished that year with rookie of the year. The next season, all-star and 12th in the MVP voting. Uh, 2021, fourth in the MVP voting, was an all-star, won the Silver Slugger, and last year won the MVP again, Silver Slugger, all-star. That didn't count for his arbitration, of course, because it would have applied to next year's uh, statistics. But that's that's his numbers in his career prior to last season. So this is what would have hit his arbitration numbers. He had a career 940 OPS with a 150 OPS plus. I will go. It's got to be close to the Corbin Carroll deal. Otherwise, he wouldn't bring this up. But I would say $60 million. I was going to say $80 million. I was going to say $75 million. Mm, And this is the T-Bone's point. It's why I don't think it's a no-doubter. Like, I understand. If you're somebody on the text line right now that's saying, T-Bone, you're stupid. I did see that. Quit being dumb. It's... Basically, Aaron Judge that you're getting here on a deal that is totally reasonable. Eight years, $110 million. I get it. I agree. T-Bone's stupid. He's dumb. He should want oh, to yeah. sign. I heard that. <laughs> he should want to sign Jordan Walker to this contract. Welcome back, idiot. <laughs> I don't think he has a bad. Back. I, I don't think what you're saying, though, is wrong, Tanner, because the next two years, which would basically be the back end of this deal, the last two years of it, you're going to see Aaron Judge making $40 million per season. 
So that's a two-year deal worth 80 million bucks, basically. You combine that with what he's already made, that's $116 million. So he basically, to start out his career, in eight years made $116 million. Corbin Carroll is going to make $111 million. The same same deals, basically, is what they are for the course of the first eight years. The difference, of course, is that Aaron Judge also then has another like eight years on this portion of his contract. So you want to get out in front of this if you're the Cardinals. The question is, do you do it now or do you wait until at the end of the season? I would get it done now so I know what I'm working with long term. And because I'm I'm betting on the fact that I'm right. I'm betting on Jordan Walker working out this season, and it's only going to cost me more the longer that I wait. But I do understand why you would wait. Yeah, I, I wouldn't wait a long time because he, he is the one player that I've used an exception to basically my role of no contract extension and no deal until you hit that free agent market because I think he has the potential to be an MVP candidate. I just want to see him on the field because I because – and look, I think he's going to be different, even though he is a really high-end top prospect across Major League Baseball. But I've seen other top prospects where they come up probably too early, they struggle, and then they continue to ride that up-and-down train, and they never get it figured out at the Major League level. Or it takes them a stop before they're able to figure things out at the Major League level. And I don't think Walker would be that, but there's still that in the back of my mind. And I'm always the one that always views the worst-case scenario when I'm talking about these kind of deals, even though you would say it's not that bad, you could get out of that contract. But I would wait a year. I just want to see it on a year. If he plays up here, he starts on opening day and never goes down to Memphis and puts up really good numbers and is hitting between two and five, as Alex mentioned earlier, then yeah, okay, next year, let's talk about it. Let's go to the table and go for a contract extension. I don't think it would be much worse than eight years and $111 million. I think it would be pretty close to that. Maybe there's a little bit more money onto that because one year was yeah, played. Somebody on the text line makes a good point. This comes from the 937. Guys, Wander Franco signed an 11-year deal worth $182 million after his first year. He was outstanding in that season. That's essentially the difference between paying right now and paying after a rookie of the year season. It's $3 million a year. Which is not much. Yeah. I mean, that's that's nothing. 13 mil versus 16 mil with 11 years. It's basically a question of if you're the Cardinals, is it worth $3 million per year to get more certainty? And are you willing? Jordan Walker is this guy. And are you willing to go 11 years? Which I think they would be for for a 20 year old. 31 years old by the end of that contract. I'll be honest with you. I would not do that if I'm Jordan Walker. If I'm Walker, I would want an eight-year deal, not an 11-year deal. And that's where these things can get a little funky, a little bit difficult uh, to figure out. But um, I I do think that is something to keep in mind as well. Final thing here from the 314. Guys, by this logic, would you support giving Nolan Gorman an eight-year deal too? He was also a top prospect. We can differentiate between top prospects, right? Yeah. Like, that's okay to do? You guys don't mind that? Gorman wasn't. He, wasn't well, he was like the top 25th best prospect in yeah. baseball when he came up. Jordan Walker, if the Cardinals decided to leave him down, would probably be the number one prospect in baseball by the middle of the season. And Gorman, to that, I don't want to say that Texas point, but Gorman was always viewed as, hey, he's not going to hit for average. He's going to be 30 home run guy. And best, he's like mediocre defensively. Walker, it's, hey, the guy could steal potentially 20 bags. He could hit 30 home runs. He could drive in 100. He could hit 280. He's going to have an eye on base. Like, I could keep going on and on and on. Oh, and by the way, he's probably going to be good defensively in the outfit. Oh, and he looks like Aaron Judge. Katie said yesterday they had to create a sixth tool for Jordan Walker because he's just (laughs) that talented. Like, he's got the five, and then you add in one other, which is just like the intangibles. He's got it all. He's like... 
Sounds crazy also, to say. There's going to be some kind of a flaw that eventually emerges, but right now it feels like he's the perfect baseball also, player. Also, the reason we're doing this because of spring training, as I mentioned, a 1,200 OPS for Jordan Walker. Uh, Nolan Gorman last year through spring training had a 469 OPS. So, yeah, and then struggled at times during yeah. the regular season. He did not have the same kind of numbers in the minor leagues. They're not the same prospects. They're, they're different players. Who was that that told us? There's a difference between top prospect on the team and top prospect in baseball. I think that was uh, John Denton. Was that John Denton? Might have been John Denton who said there's there's a different we're seeing the difference between top prospects yeah. in the Cardinal system and a top prospect in all of Major yeah. League Baseball. It was John coming up in about 15 minutes. Our buddy Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletics going to join the show. Want to get his thoughts on where the Blues stand right now and where he stands on Jordan Cairo. Alex, you weren't or Tanner, you weren't here yesterday, but we had a bit of a uh, fight. Yeah, brouhaha about okay. Jordan Cairo. Where we're at with him right now. I felt like that was a very gentlemanly fight. Did you trade him? Huh? Did you trade him? He Did wants to. Him? He's yeah. always wanted to. Yeah. No, I just want him to actually, you know. Play defense? Play defense. I guess, yeah. And I said he's going to be a 40-goal scorer, and I don't care if you play I saw him defense. score a hat-trick, so I enjoyed it. Coming up in 15 it's minutes, we'll talk to JR about all of that. But coming up next, the Cardinals <laughs> appear to be going with an attack-the-situation by numbers approach to the bullpen. Is that going to work? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and Tanner Hendrickson. It's good to have T-Bone back. I'm Brandon Kylie. We were going to talk about the Cardinals bullpen. We'll do that in a little bit. But Alex, there is some news coming out of Cardinals spring training right now. Oh, contract extension for Jordan Walker? Nope, not Eight yet. Here's $111 million. Suck it, T-Bone. It'd be great timing, though. It would be incredible timing if that awesome. ended up taking place. Uh, no, instead, it is that Mason Wynn is going to be starting today for the Cardinals. Yes. Paul DeYoung was previously scheduled to start. He has been scratched from the lineup. He will not be starting today. We don't have any real update as to why this is taking place. It could be elbow soreness. He's been dealing with that elbow so far throughout the spring. It could be something as simple as they want Paul DeYoung to get swings on the backfields instead of on the, the main game. So I have no idea why this is taking place. But Alex, it brings us to a question that we were talking about prior to the show today, which is this. At some point, is there no benefit to bringing Paul DeYoung into spring or into the regular season with you? So far, he's batting 154 in spring training. Now, that is a bit misleading because while he is batting 154, he is getting on base 43% of the time, which is a hell of an on-base percentage. He's walked six times so far in just uh, 13 at-bats. He's, he's walking a ton. He's hit for a little bit of power, has one double and a homer. Is that enough? Is there a certain is there a time when you say to yourself, you know what? It actually makes more sense for us to bring Alec Burleson with us than it does to bring Paul DeYoung. Because I think that's probably the roster decision that you're looking at. Well, Alec Burleson already has the edge in that conversation then, because Burleson's bat has been better than Paul DeYoung. And as much as we joke around about how you don't read into anything in spring training. I really don't read into somebody getting a ton of walks and that's it at spring training because that's where pitchers are working on their command. And how many of these guys is he going up against double a pitchers right now? If that's what Paul DeYoung is trying to hang his hat on, that's not good enough to make this roster because we're having all of these conversations of how's Jordan Walker going to get at bats and where are these other three outfielders going to hit if Walker's in and what about Juan Yapez and Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan and Alec Burleson's been hitting better than Paul DeYoung. 
there were one of two routes for him. It was either have the bat or superb defense. And honestly, he struggled on defense so far through spring training at shortstop. So right now I'm at the point where I don't see the benefit of carrying him other than the fact that he's a veteran. But right now I want bats in my lineup. I, I can't see the spot right now for Paul DeYoung, and I do think I agree with you it is between him and Burleson. Now, Burleson's bat profile hasn't been what I think they were expecting because his slugging's down. He's he's hit only 208, but he's his slugging has not been there. He is drawing walks, too, but again, that's spring train. Don't yeah. read too much into that. I, I think the biggest thing they needed to see from Paul DeYoung is the new swing, and they haven't been able to see it because he's been dealing with this injury to his arm. Defensively, you knew that Paul DeYoung was always going to be a good defender, and if that's the case and he his bat looks or excuse me, his swing looks a little bit better. Okay, I can understand carrying him because then he's the backup shortstop. You don't have to worry about Donovan serving in that role. But right now you haven't been able to see the swing, and I, I think that's the most important part of this is if you can't get a sense out of spring training what his swing looks like, this newly revamped swing, then I, I struggle to view it as, okay, Let's the Cardinals will carry him into the regular season because Donovan can serve as the backup, and if something major happens to Tommy Evan, and hopefully it doesn't, you can call up Win. I, I do think they would look at Win as being an everyday shortstop if there's an injury to Tommy Edmond at some point. So, I, I think I think right now the edge goes to Burleson, and I think part of it too will be the batter profile. Left-handed bat can play a little bit of outfield, could hit for average is what they think. Maybe provide some slugging. I think right now Paul DeYoung is on the outside looking in. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here because I'll be the one that everybody gets to hate after the segment. I think Paul DeYoung is the perfect 13th position player on your roster. I know nobody wants to hear that. I get it. I don't blame you. I'm not telling you you should want to hear that. But I did my, like, way too nerdy, how do you get the playing time for everybody thing the other day. You know how often I had Paul DeYoung in the starting lineup? One day a week. No, I, I Once. Never. I mean, you could make it to where he doesn't. You, you could make it to where instead of Paul DeYoung getting the start at shortstop, you go Brendan Donovan so at shortstop why have him on the day. roster if you're going to do that? Because you need somebody that is capable of playing shortstop in a pinch. And I think he is. And I think that if you have him on the roster as a utility infielder, it it makes it easier for you to make everything else work. Because if you do have Alec Burleson on the roster, like suddenly there is a time crunch where eventually there's not enough playing time to go around to five different outfielders and then also having two guys in your middle infield that can play DH if needed. And oh, by the way, you want Contreras as bad in the lineup basically every day. So you're going to DH him when he's not catching. You're going to want both Goldie and Arenado to have probably one day a week where they're DHing instead of playing in the field to be able to keep them fresh throughout the season. There is a point in time where there are too many players for not enough spots. And Paul DeYoung allows you to have one spot on your roster or you're not stunting the growth of a young player. He's the guy that ends up taking a backseat to everybody else that's getting the playing time. And Paul DeYoung doesn't have a choice. He's got to accept that role. Meanwhile, when you have a guy like Alec Burleson or if you tried to make it work with like a Mason win on the roster while you're getting all of these other guys playing time, I do think you eventually stunt growth of somebody. I don't know who it would be. Maybe Alec Burleson comes up and he starts hitting and you just play him in the outfield or a DH every day and you make it work. Well, that's great. But now who's the guy that's taking the backseat to Alec Burleson? There would be somebody that ends up getting frozen out of playing time as a result of that. So to me, as much as I don't want to watch Paul DeYoung play this year, I don't think you're going to have to. I think he's the 13th guy on the rotation and he's coming in occasionally for a defensive replacement situation and otherwise is pretty much going to be on your bench. I get that. 
And I agree that you do need somebody who can take over that spot. And if an injury pops up, and I know some people would say Mason win, but honestly, I'm at the point now where I'd rather take my lumps with Brendan Donovan at shortstop and see if he can perform there for you. If you're only going to be talking one game, let Brendan Donovan be the shortstop for that one game because then you're still getting the at-bats and then you're opening up a spot for somebody like an Alec Burleson to take those hits. But you're, you're really not. like it's, it's just that one game where you're opening up any sort of playing time for Brend- or for Alec Burleson. And so am I having Alec? I guess this is the question they need to answer. I think you're about is, to ask the question I was going to ask. What? What's the role for Alec Burleson long-term? Are you okay yeah. with him exclusively being a bench bat? Because if you are, then sure, this is fine because it's going to be the role to fill at some point in his career and why not just get him ready for it right now but if you eventually view Alec Burleson and he right now is a top 100 prospect and this is the other thing you have to consider are you losing value on the trade market by bringing him up and putting him into this role right now I don't know the answer to that it as opposed to keeping him down in AAA and allowing him to just continue getting the at-bats we saw last year he crushed at AAA he probably puts up big time numbers again this year so that's the other thing to keep in mind if they want to use him as a trade asset. What what do they view him as? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer I, and to see, that. If you were to ask me honestly, I think it is a trade asset. And I also think that you're at the point where there's not much else you can learn from the minors if you're Alec Burleson. If I'm a team looking at him to where if I'm getting him a couple of at-bats every week or a couple of games where he gets at-bats every week, that benefits me more than having him in the minors where he's dominated. Yeah, I, I just I think right now when you look at Burleson, I, it, to your point, it comes down to the question of what do you think his future is with St. Louis? If you think he's a fourth outfielder, then I don't really see a harm of having him up on the roster right now. I, I don't view him as a, at least I don't, and it does come down to what the Cardinals view. Do you view him as an everyday player at whatever position it might end up being? And right now I just have trouble seeing that. I, I mean, I think Yepes is kind of that everyday DH and moving forward. The outfield moving forward, in my opinion, is Walker. O'Neill slash Carlson and Newpar for the time being, and the Cardinals are really high on Newpar. I I just think right now when you look at it, you have, you know everything you need to know about Paul DeYoung, and if you think Burleson can be a bat off the bench that you're not worried about playing time, I would carry Burleson because then he provides a little bit of pop from the left side for you, and you can use him. And, and I know your question, you know, what about well playing time? I think you can use. I would feel comfortable using Burleson coming off the bench in a situation where late game, late right-handed. game. I don't know who you'd pinch hit for. That's the tough part, maybe man. You've got a lot of good yeah, hitters against both sides. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's Yepes, or maybe it's I backup catcher the day when he's playing. But I feel comfortable maybe saying Carlson. Maybe it is Carlson. I feel comfortable saying you know what Burleson can pinch hit and he can do that well. Unlike Paul DeYoung, where I go, can he pinch in for me? No. Is he playing once a week? Yeah. Is that worth $11 million? Probably not, in my but opinion. But that's the thing. So I think the money is something yeah, that I'm we've got to set to the side for a moment. I'm because we got somebody on the text line that says, you're going to give him millions of dollars to not play. That's the dumbest use of, fun, use of funds everywhere. Guys, like, pretend he's making a million dollars because the money doesn't matter. It's right. a sunk cost. It, it, it should not even come into the discussion as to what you're going to do here. If you think the best move is to have somebody else on the roster, totally reasonable. If you think the best move is to go with somebody else that's cheaper and younger just because of the money, there's no reason to even bring that into the discussion because the money's already spent. You're paying him $11 million no matter what. Exactly. And if you think that like it's best to spend that money to send him elsewhere, cool, no problem with that. I don't have, I don't even necessarily have a great retort for it. But the money is not part of the equation, and I know people are going to sit there and probably say to themselves, like, no, BK, you're totally wrong. No, I I think that the money right now, what you're spending it for, is to utilize him in a roster spot where he's not going to play. And that sounds crazy, 
but I think that's the way they're so, going to look at it, at least for now. And then midway through the season, if Burleson or if uh, maybe it's Burleson, maybe it's Mason Wynn, whoever is knocking on the door, we know who the first roster spot is that's going to go. Eventually, Paul DeYoung's going to get replaced it, on this team. It's the same conversation when that back end of that Carpenter deal where that money is sunk. Yep. The only difference is Paul DeYoung's not a legacy player, and I, you you can move on from Paul DeYoung. They wouldn't move on from Carpenter because he was a legacy player. So, But I, I threw the money out there. I shouldn't have done it. But I, I think I think a lot of people are thinking that I, way. I, I think. Paul DeYoung right now provides only de- defense, and honestly, you can't provide that with a sore elbow. So it comes down to Burleson for me. Coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for The Athletic. What does it mean that Jordan Cairo was able to get to his 30th goal this season? We'll talk to JR about that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the Blues Insider for The Athletic. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Anytime. I'm doing good. Uh, you know, usually I'm always listening to the show, but I, I like to listen uh, in the previous segment because you kind of tell everybody uh, what you're going to ask me, and that helps me uh, prepare a little bit. But I was, I was just in a room with Barkley the dog, the Blues dog down here, and BK, right when you said, and we're going to ask Jeremy, uh, Barkley started making some noise, that cute little thing. So I, uh, I missed the question there because uh, Barkley was in the room. So, so what do you got? So it's true. Every time uh, BK speaks, dogs bark. <laughs> it's, it is true. Today it was. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, there, there's there's worse things to be said about me. There's worse things that have been yeah, said about me. Say, you but... could have gone some different ways, Alex, and, and busted them. But uh, easy way out there. I'll, I'll take it. All right. So here's my question for you, Jr. We have yeah. officially arrived at the place where Jordan Cairo has 30 goals on the season. He had 27 last year. This is a new career high for him. He has 30 goals and 63 points through his first 63 games this season. Can you put that in context for us? What, how meaningful is this that Cairo was able to get to 30 goals this year as a 24-year-old? Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty remarkable. I think that once we saw him kind of start to show signs of that a couple years ago, and I'm not talking about you know last year's total, but uh, a couple years ago, I think you saw that this guy could be an every year 30 goal score and potentially a 40 goal score. And I still think he's got uh, definitely 40 goal potential in him when he becomes more consistent and uh, when he's able to kind of develop some of the skill that he already has and learns a little bit more about the league and the goalies and so on and so forth. So to me, this is a 40 goal scorer. This is a guy who can be a 90 or 100 point guy in the league. And for him to get to 30 in a year that's been tough, not only for the team, uh, but tough for him, I think, personally, says a lot. Because if, if you look at Jordan Cairo, if you're doing a report card, what kind of grade would you give him? I don't know that you'd give him a an A- minus or an A even, but yet here he's sitting at 30 goals. And on the season, uh, just looking at him compared to previous Blues players, JR, and you're, you're familiar with all these guys, uh, I mean, the only Blues players in the last 20 years, 30 years really, 
that had 30 goals, 60 points, both for their 25th birthday. Kairou this year, Tarasenko did it twice, and then Pavel Dimitra did it in 1999. That's it. In the last 30 years, guys that have done this at this age. Yeah. Offensively, I think we know what Jordan Kairou is at this point. He, he's incredibly gifted, and he's, like you said, got the potential to be a 40-plus goal scorer at some point in his career. What is his ceiling, though, as a like all-around player? What, what can that look like for him as he continues to progress? Well, I think it's definitely going to look better. Is it ever going to look Selkie, you know, Selkie trophy like Ryan O'Reilly? No, it's not going to. I, I can probably tell you that in eight, ten years, if we're having this conversation, it's probably not going to look like that. But you go back to some of these top goal scorers of all time, and you mentioned a couple of them there. I mean, look at Vladimir Tarasenko. I, I think eventually his defensive game got better, but we were also up until a couple weeks ago talking about, you know, him not having the type of all-around game, getting back, necessarily being that type of guy. They're just guys, you talk to Brett Hull about this, if you can score goals, let them score goals. And, you know, now today, obviously the game's different. you got to be much stronger defensively. Back in the day, you just told Hull to show up and he'd score two and you'd win the game. But, you know, now you need guys like Jordan Kyrie to be a little more responsible. So I do think that it'll probably get a little better over the years. But I think uh, when Jordan Kyrou's career is all said and done, we'll be talking about the goal scorer and could be the guy that uh, is on that list when you talk about the, the Tarasenko's and the Dimitras and those guys. The growth for him, JR, comes obviously from he and, and Robert Thomas's play on the ice, but it also comes from the coaching with Craig Berube. And I asked Joey this on postgame a couple of nights ago, and I'm curious your thoughts because you wrote about this in your article a couple of articles ago saying that both Thomas and Cairo, they respect Craig Berube. Do you feel like, though, that, that Craig Berube's message can get lost moving forward with Cairo and Thomas? Well, you know, I think that uh, having talked to Craig Ruby about that a week or so ago in Arizona, like you touched on, he, you know, he admits that there's going to be times where they're on each other's nerves and he's trying to get one thing out of them. But he, the one thing that stuck out to me that he said, Alex, was I want them to come back to me and tell me if they see something or they don't like something or they want to try something a different way. He said, that's all becoming a good player and a good leader. So come to me with that stuff. And yeah, I think that we probably don't know about all the those types of conversations that go on behind closed doors. You just hear rumblings and rumors. Oh, he doesn't like this guy. He doesn't like this guy. Well, guess what? He's your coach, and he's about one of the few people in your life who actually tells you what you have to do. And you, you otherwise, you're on a pedestal. And and so you have to learn to accept that and learn that he's just trying to to sculpt you into the player. Look, I've been fortunate to do a lot of stories about Brett Hall and Brian Sutter, and I talked to Brian Sutter last year for a big piece about Brett, and he, they butted heads nonstop. But who is Brett Hall talking about when he goes to the podium to accept an award or have his number retired? He's talking about how Brian Sutter was one of the guys who turned his career around. So to me, it's part of coaching. It's part of professional sports. And if you're a player who turns and goes the other way and you're just willing, you're not willing to put up with it, I don't think you're going to have as good a career as you could have had. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. Uh, J.R., I did want to ask you about it. Jakub Vrana and what we've seen from him so far in a Blues uniform. Is there anything about his game that has stood out to you thus far? Uh, just a little bit. I think the speed catches you. Uh, you watch this team the past couple of years. Yeah, you got Kairou, but otherwise uh, not a lot of guys where you, you, you see that burst. And so you're sitting up in the press box, you look down the ice, you see a guy take off, and wow, that's Vrana. Uh, the other thing is I think Craig Bruby touched on it the other day. Uh, Vrana's probably not going to be that one-timer guy or a guy who just likes to 
whistle that shot, even on the power play. He just finds different shots, and he finds different spots on the ice, and it's a great shot, uh, but maybe it's just not that one-timer that you're used to, like with a prawn or, or so on and so forth. But to me, you know, his, his game, he, he comes to a new team. He's learning the system. Yeah, he's going to tell you it's, it's pretty similar, and you get used to it. Uh, but I think that uh, as we get down the stretch here, if this team's starting to play better hockey, Verona can be a part of it. And then you get an offseason, you come to camp with these guys, and perhaps you get to see more of his attributes. But there's nothing that I, I've seen in the last uh, week or so since he's been here where you know, you're know you turned off by it or you think that he can't be a player on this team. Jer, speaking of playing better hockey, Pareko has been playing probably his <laughs> best of the season since back, I guess, that game before the trade deadline. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but but I am I am curious your view on this. Do you think that the the partner for Pareko has been a problem this season, and can that be addressed in the off season? I think that it's a fair question, and I've heard it a lot. And you sit here and you think about Scandella. He had Krug for a little bit. You got Letty for a little bit. You had uh, you had Mikula for a little bit. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Preco needed to make those guys better, like we talk about an Al McInnes and a Chris Pronger made their partners better. Uh, I do understand that for Preco to be successful, he's got to have a guy who can play, and he's got to have a guy who can accent him a little bit. But I would not put Colton Preco's inconsistencies this year on his partner. I don't care who his partner is. We know that he can play good hockey. We've seen him play good hockey. Granted, you can't play with Jay Bomeister your whole career, but he was phenomenal with him. But back a couple of years ago, there was just more awareness. There, there was more, never like physical, but he was always prepared for whatever was happening in front of him. And this year, regardless of the, the, the partner, we have not seen that same type of player. It has changed drastically for whatever reason. In the last couple of weeks, he's playing much better hockey much more aggressive in the play, engaged. Is that a situation where he's thinking about the trade deadline? He's thinking about, it. am I going to get that phone call from my agent that said Doug Armstrong's called and, and we're thinking about a trade? You know, you get to a point where the team calls you and says, we're not going to do that with you, and perhaps it frees you up a little bit. You get back to your game. I don't, I don't know that that's the sole reason why we're seeing better play out of him, but for whatever reason, he definitely looks more like that type of player here the last uh, seven or eight games. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll be looking forward to your coverage of Blues versus the Minnesota Wild tomorrow night. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. Okay, and for the record, I did this uh, interview at the arena, not in a bathroom stall like Katie Wu. I <laughs> so uh, didn't do that to you guys, but uh, she's a she's a hoot, right? So no bathroom <laughs> hot takes from Jr. today. No, I, you're saying <laughs> no bathroom hot takes, and Barkley is on the ice now, so. Uh, so, BK, uh, you can pitch to the next segment. There we go. That, that's what I'm here for. JR, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself at a morning skate. See you guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Katie Wu has the bathroom hot takes cornered. That That is her her lane, and nobody else can get in it. That's, that's exclusively for Katie Wu. Alex, I think on the, the Pareko side of things, we're going to talk about this a little bit further coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, but... I think he's one of the people that I'm most interested in down the stretch. I thought it was going to be some of the newcomers. I think we know what the newcomers are, at least for right now, that maybe they they expand their games a bit going into next season. But right now, I think you kind of know what they are. I think Pareko's the one that I'm going to be honing in on the most down the stretch because he has raised his game over the last few weeks. He looks like the player that the Blues thought that they were paying when they gave him that mega deal, uh, that long-term extension. And now I am kind of in the same place that you've been all year long, which is 
if you can extract this version of Pareko, I want to build around to that. But now you've got to be able to find somebody that gets the most out of him on a night in night out basis. And frankly, I don't think that player is currently on the blues. It's not. And I I agree with Jr. in the sentiment of Colton Pareko should be a guy that doesn't have to rely on a partner. But I disagree on the fact that his partner hasn't been the reason he struggled because I, I do view this as Nico Mikola was a third pairing defenseman and they were trying to get the best out of him. Tori Krug never worked with him there. And frankly, I just the way I view this is Colton Pareko is kind of a guy that plays and doesn't really talk on the ice as much. And Nick Letty's the same player. I think you need somebody who can be a captain on the ice in terms of directing people so that there's communication and Colton Pareko is the perfect Robin. You're just looking for that Batman out there because he is a, a top defenseman. But I think you need another top defenseman to play with him rather than try and find second or third pairing guys and make them because he's not going to make them better. I think you get the best of Pareko when you have two guys on the same compete level. Yeah, I think he can be a top pairing defenseman. I don't think he's a number one defenseman. And what you're looking for right now is either another top pairing defenseman or a legitimate number one defenseman. It's got to be one of those two. The problem is those guys are really hard to find. And when you find them, they're either incredibly expensive in free agency or crazy expensive via trade or, or they're going to be like cheaper via trade, but they've got a contract that's attached to them that you're kind of squeamish about over the long haul. So it's, it's not going to be an easy move, but that's what the blues are going to have to do this off season or in the next couple of years, if they're going to want to take this to the next level coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for 2023. But next, Questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This comes from the 618. Alex, if Justin Falk was left-handed, would he be an ideal pairing as a defenseman for Colton Pareko? So basically, are you looking for left-handed Justin Falk? Yeah, I think that actually is perfect for a top pair with Pareko and Falk um, because Falk is more of a louder player on the ice. Falk isn't the stingiest in front of his net, but puck, but he's a he's the puck mover just like Colton Pareko is. So yeah, you're essentially looking for a left-handed Justin Falk, which, in my opinion, you don't have on this roster right now. I would be looking for somebody slightly better, to be totally honest. Last um, year's Justin Falk, I think, would be perfect. Absolutely. This year's Justin Falk has been underperforming, and I think that's that's the thing with Falk is like when you are a player his caliber i think you have those fluctuations because yeah. we've seen now basically two seasons of below average and one season of very good in a blues uniform from justin falk and last year was easy to say the first season was just because he was playing out of position now it's starting to make me wonder does he need the right circumstances like the play around him pairing partner like all of these different things do they need to be in justin falk's favor for him to be able to play at the level that we saw a year ago I think that's a a good defenseman. 
Certainly not even close to a great one, and though, when you need that. You also that. look at the fact of Justin Falk. I mean, last season, majority of the season, he was paired with Tory Krug. And this season, he really hasn't meshed well with Tory Krug. So some of this has been underperforming for Tory Krug as well. Sure, But if you're a great defenseman, I think you make up for the limitations that you have with those around you. And I think the same thing is true for like forwards as and well. And those defensemen are few and far. But those are the Absolutely. elite number ones that, again, you don't find unless you get lucky in free agency or you draft them. From the 615, guys if Mason Wynn is the Cardinals' future at shortstop and Nolan Gorman is their future at second base, why has there been no talk about trading Tommy Edman for a starting pitcher? I think there will be. I don't think that there is any talk of that right now because there's no reason to. You're not forced to yet. I think sometimes we get out over our skis and we're like, Mason Wynn is coming. Mason Wynn is coming. We need to trade everybody now because we need to open the door for Mason. No, 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 no. The Cardinals are a contender. They're a very good team. Tommy Edmond is a solid start stop for you right now. When Mason Wynn is ready next offseason, I think we're going to be having a lot of conversations about what Tommy Edmond's role is for the Cardinals. Hell, this trade deadline, if the Cardinals end up needing to go to make a big move and they're trading with another contender for a starter, it's possible they make a move like they did last year where Harrison Bader became available because they had a surplus in the outfield. This year, they're going to have a surplus potentially in the middle infield. And at that point, maybe Edmund is somebody that they could use as trade bait. But I think it's really more likely in the offseason. Yeah, I, I think it's possible in the offseason because Wynn still pr- does need a little bit of seasoning. But I do think there's a chance that going into spring training of next year that they will write Mason Wynn as the starting shortstop in pen and just say you know what we think he's ready let's go for it and we'll move you know tommy Emmon or like a brendan donovan for potentially him they need somebody to remain as that uh swiss army knife kind of utility guy for them i think they would stick with donovan because he's got more club control but tommy Emmon would definitely have enough value to where you could move him and get maybe it's not an ace but maybe it's like another like number two or three i mean they do have four holes in the rotation next year so maybe that's how you acquire one of those guys from the 636, guys, does Juan Yepes remind anybody else of Kendris Morales? <laughs> it's yeah. a really interesting comparison. I could see it. Kendris Morales was a very good hitter, and then he had that freak injury in the celebration yeah. uh, with the Angels, and then eventually had a really nice second half of his career as well. I, he was a big part of the Kansas City Royals World Series team. I could see that, and honestly, if you told me today I could sign up for Juan Yepes over the next like seven years being the prime of Kendris Morales' career, where he's a 20% above league average hitter, I think I would do it. I dig that. I mean, Kendris Morales, middle of the bat, or middle of the order bat for you. So yeah, if I could get that from Juan Yepes, I'd hit that button. If Morales was like your five or six hole hitter, you were feeling pretty good about what your where your roster was at. And I think that's probably where you expect the same thing to be for uh, for Juan Yepes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I, if- I can hit a button and make him that. I, I would. And if he's hitting six for you, that's a hell of a lineup, especially when we're talking about potentially like a bounce back Tyler O'Neill or a peak Lars at the number two hole. Yeah, I would absolutely sign up for that. I love this question. This is perfect. Welcome to uh, to spring training hype from the 636. I understand this is a big if, guys, but if Jordan Walker becomes a part of the Cardinals club at the beginning of the season, do you think that he eventually surpasses Albert Pujols in overall stats in his baseball career? No. 
hot could, take? That's no. my that's my answer. No, I don't think that you have one of the five greatest right-handed hitters in the history of baseball currently on the roster. And that is not a slight against Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker could become a perennial all-star and maybe even a future Hall of Famer and not match the career of Albert Pujols. Well, you're not saying in his first 10 years, he's going to average 43 doubles, 42 home runs, 126 RBIs, be 70% above league average at 328 and have an OPS over 1,000? He had arguably the greatest first decade of his career in the history of baseball. But you don't see Walker doing that? I don't. No. 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 Unfortunately, uh, when you get something that never happens, it usually is because it's probably never going to happen again. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for the 2023 Cardinals season. Guys, this is going to be a fun one. It is somebody that has been competing for an opening day spot. I think at this point they have locked it in. We'll tell you who that is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number 11, Lars Newtbar. The 2-2. Newtbar banks hit. Arenado being waved in. Suzuki thrown to the plate. He is. I've been waiting about waiting for this one with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie at number 11 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023. Now the list starts to get fun. We've got Lars Newtbar. I had him at had him at number 10 on my list. Alex had him all the way up at number seven. Of course, you all know that Tanner Hendrickson hates Lars Newtbar. He had him at number 14 on his list of the 20 most important Cardinals. And that's where we land at number 11 as the average between the three of us. Guys, you look at what Lars Newtbar did a year ago for the Cardinals. There is an argument either direction. You could be in Tanner's camp and he points to the first half of the season where Lars Newtbar hit 200 and he had a 655 OPS. That looks like a fourth outfielder. You can also be on my side of things where you say Lars Newtbar has the potential to be an all-star this season. And if you're on that side of things, you look to his second half where he had a 365 on base percentage and an OPS of 850 in the second half of the year. Everybody points to Albert Pools as the guy that took off in the second half of the season and made the offense go. There's a lot of truth to that. He was not alone, though. Lars Newtbar was also one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball in the second half of the season. He was a big part of this. what sparked this offense. Alex, the best-case scenario for Lars Newtbar in 2023 is what? Welcome to your new everyday two-hole hitter for the Cardinals in Lars Newtbar because he's going to do everything for you, maybe until Jordan Walker takes over that spot. But... It's no coincidence Lars Newtbar has been leading off for his team in World Baseball Classic and having a lot of success. I really believe you could see some competition in the leadoff spot this season between Brennan Donovan and Lars Newtbar, but best case scenario for him is second half of last year and a full season form for Lars Newtbar. I don't think you're going to get into any MVP conversations with Lars Newtbar, but maybe you get to a silver slugger conversation, maybe you get to a gold glove conversation, but what you will be saying after this season in a best case scenario for the Cardinals is Lars Lars Newtbar, everyday right fielder for the Cardinals. Yeah, I think best case scenario, you know who your right fielder is for the next probably five years, I would say, and that, or center fielder, depending where you want to put him. But I, 
I'd say best case scenario is he, he becomes an everyday outfielder and you think he's going to be that for the next handful of years. And he's going to be around a leadoff or number two hole hitter for you with some pop from that left side. I mean, Lars Newpar's definitely got 20 home run power in his bat. I mean, last year he had 14 and he struggled in the first half of the year. And I think he's a guy that could get to maybe 10 stolen bases, maybe up to 15. I, I do think he's got a little bit more of a stolen base game in his repertoire. I mean, he only had four stolen bases last year. I think he can be a little bit better than that. I, I think best case scenario, you're looking at an all around two hole hitter for you and really gets the engine going for the St. Louis Cardinals offense. I'm excited to see what this looks like. Couldn't tell because when you look at him, he is an analytics dream, dude. He hits the ball really hard. He gets on base at a crazy high level. He plays excellent defense, regardless of where you play him. He's got an, an unbelievable arm. The weird thing is Lars Newbar is kind of a five tool player without us realizing until like the last year or so, like at the big league level that he was a five tool player. Maybe you could argue four because his contact probably isn't quite as great in terms of like the, the bat to ball profile as what you would want for that fifth tool. But man, it's it's pretty damn impressive. So for me, best case scenario is you've got an all star, whether that's in right field and center field, wherever he ends up playing. The best case scenario is he gets on base about 35, 36% of the time and hits 20 to 25 home runs this year. Worst case scenario, though, is that Tanner's right. The worst case scenario is he ends up being your fourth outfielder and he's a valuable one. He's a left-handed hitter. He gets on base. You can bring him in in the clutch. You can have him play in the outfield as a defensive replacement if needed late in games. I think in a worst case scenario, you've got an energy player that you love having on your roster every single year while he's still under team control. So I, I don't think there's a bad scenario with Lars, but that's his worst case scenario for this. I think season. the worst case scenario for him is that the bat doesn't play into your lineup because it seems they're really relying on his bat. You separate. And I know there's power with Lars Newbar, but they view this more. I think with hard hit contact, getting on base with Lars, there's only a certain few players that you'd look at on this Cardinals team that have that ability. And it's probably Brennan Donovan, a little bit of Tommy Edmond and Lars Newbar. The rest seem to be a lot of power hitters that you're expecting for. So that would probably be worst case scenario for me on top of what you just said of becoming a fourth outfielder. But man, if his bat doesn't play, this Cardinals team is going to be in for a world of hurt. Yeah, and I think the worst case scenario, that fourth outfielder, and again, I I still think that's probably what he's going to ultimately end up being. But I, I think the worst case scenario, and I, I think he becomes that fourth outfielder as if that on base really drops. And, and that's kind of where I'm a little bit skeptical is, is he going to be draw, drawing walks at the same rate as he did in the second half? I mean, that's what really bloated his on base sure. percentage and really rose that OPS. Because is he going to hit the ball hard? Yeah, I think he will. And I, I don't know if he'll ever be a 240, 250. Or he might be a 240 hitter, but I don't know if he'll ever be a 260 to 280 hitter. I think worst case scenario is probably a lot like what 2021 looked like, but with a bigger sample size because he was only in 58 games where he's around a 239, probably a 228 hitter. He's going to get on base around 317. And this pop's going to be there and he's going to be about 3% above league average. Again, that is the perfect fourth outfielder and it's okay if that happens. Yeah. But that's the worst case scenario, I think, for Lars Newbar. The other reason why it's okay if that happens, and I'm not saying it's going to, I'm much higher on Lars Newbar than Tanner is, but. If it does end up going that direction, they've got internal options to be able to fix it. First of all, you've got Dylan Carlson, who's right there ready to go if needed. You've got Tyler O'Neill. And second of all, if Lars doesn't hit, you could always move Brendan Donovan to the outfield. 
And the reason why I bring that up is because in that scenario, now you've got Nolan Gorman playing second base. You get worse defensively in this scenario, but just in terms of pure offense, you got Gorman at second. You've got Yepes available for you as your everyday DH in this scenario. And you've still got Tommy Edmond at shortstop. And this is before we get to the potential of Mason Wynn starting at shortstop. And then maybe you could move Tommy Edmond to second. You've got Nolan Gorman back at DH. And you've got um, Brendan Donovan maybe every day as your starting outfielder. You've got options here. The Cardinals lineup is set up in a way where if one or two guys fail or get hurt, you've got the depth to be able to make up for it this season. That's something they've been sorely lacking in recent years. But I think Lars Newbar is a big part of that because even in his worst case scenario, he is a bit of a fail safe for you in the outfield where you you've got basically locked in production like you had last year with Corey Dickerson, but he can actually play defense. You've got a cheap cost controlled Corey Dickerson in a worst case scenario. And oh, by the way, he brings athleticism and defense this time around. So Lars Nupar, number 11 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season. By the way, one of the most entertaining players so far, once again on the world stage, becoming best friends with Shohei Otani. I was going to say, worst case scenario is he doesn't bring Shohei to St. Louis. Best case is he his recruitment is successful. I like that thought process. Yeah. Or worst case is Otani's the one who recruits Lars. Or Yeah, worst case, Lars becomes an angel. Somebody BK the, might be devastated. Somebody from the 980. BK, I understand what you're saying, but number 11 on the most important Cardinals list? Come on, man. That's crazy. A guy may not even start the season as the opening day starter in the outfield, and I think you're a little too high on this guy. That's all right. The 980 hates me too, buddy. Guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Lars Newbar is starting in this outfield on opening day. And that's been determined since yeah. whenever they got eliminated. That's been determined since the offseason when Ollie Marmel free agency started. In the offseason said, yeah, we don't know who's starting at two of our spots, but Lars is starting in one of them. Yeah. He's a starter. He's starting. That may not be the case on July 1st, but in on game one, Lars Newbar is starting for you. Yeah. I, if you had to guess today, let's do this real quick. As of today, and this could change, who do you believe Alex will be the opening day starting outfield for the Cardinals? Jordan Walker in left, Tyler O'Neill in center, and Lars Newbar in right. I think it'd be Walker left, O'Neill center, Newbar right. Yeah. I think that's the way that it goes as well. Man, what two weeks ago. from grace that is, is for well, Dylan Carlson. And two weeks ago, I would have said Jordan Walker starting in the minors. But, I, I mean, my opinion has just been drastically changed because of his performance and because Agreed. of what everyone is saying. By the way, Alec Manoa, I, I would assume, is going to be starting on opening day for Ooh. the Blue Jays. So, right-handed pitcher. That also plays into this. If it was a lefty, I I might at least consider going with Dylan Carlson as my starting center fielder. lineup game right now? Do you want to do it real quick? hit the damn open. Who do you think is a leadoff hitter Brendan for the Donovan. on opening day? I'd go Donovan at second base. Now, here's where it gets Newpar. interesting. This is Newpar. Who is batting second for you on opening day? This is Newpar. Against Manoa, I would probably say, I think they will go Newpar, especially in the World Baseball oh, Classic, Goldie. so we can hit it. Good job, T-Bone. So then, I don't have the other ones. So Goldie, go, go Arenado, Contreras, Green. Tyler O'Neill. I'd agree. I, I would, I would go, I would go Gorman there. Oh, he's your D. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Left-handed hitter going up against Manoa. I think I would go well, Gorman. You want to get a lefty in there because you got three righties. So yeah, Gorman and then O'Neill. And then <laughs> Tyler O'Neill's going to be batting seventh on opening man, day. I like it. <laughs> man, what a change we have when Yachty was hitting sixth, and then Walker will be hitting eighth, and then Edmund hitting ninth. That's he's a double leadoff. Double leadoff, T-Bone. That is what you want for a young player. By the way, 
You've got this is what the Braves did early on last year when they had what's his face uh, starting in center field. Michael Harris. Michael Harris. They brought him yeah. up. He was batting eighth for him every day. It's I think the, BK just when Jessica Simpson just took his breath away. I am uh, looking real quick to see, but I believe that's what the Mariners did with uh, Julio Rodriguez last year. I believe. Let me check here. I think on opening day he was hitting eighth or ninth. Let's see. They opened with Minnesota Good last teams year. teams start young players batting lower in the order like yeah. that. That is what you want to be the development path. Julio Rodriguez was hitting seventh on opening day for the Mariners. Oh, damn. And I Perfect. think by the playoffs, he was hitting like I think he was lead hitting leadoff. Yeah. And, and I think the Cardinals, like in a best case scenario, I think your two hole hitter by the end of the season is Jordan Walker in a best case scenario. doesn't have to be that way, but I think that's what they would yeah. like to see happen. Man, what a lineup coming up next. The numbers on Colton Pareko, maybe not just him, but his pairing this season, Alex, they are dreadful, and they've got to improve. I think there's a way that they could do it, though. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talking to Al about him this is this is something people need to realize the moment you move a guy like that the moment you move a six foot six defenseman that can skate that can break up plays that yes you'd like to see be a little more physical but that can keep up with the best players in the league on a regular basis the moment you move him is the moment you start going gee we got to go find a guy like that with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Chris Kerber the other day on with the morning show talking about Colton Pareko. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, over at The Athletic, they had a piece. This was actually not done by your guy, Dom, but it was done. Oh, it must have been uh, a good piece. On The Athletic, and they broke down what the top pairs, the top pairing defensemen have done on every team in the NHL at five on five, what their goal differential is. It's not some like crazy convoluted stat. It's basically on an average of a per 60 basis. How'd you do? What was your goal differential while you were on the ice, your top pair uh, defensively for the blues? They use the top pairing of Colton Pareko and Nick Letty, which is what it's been for the vast majority of this season. Actually, you might be shocked to learn that it didn't go well. According to this piece, the only top pairings defensively that have been worse this season than the Pareko and Letty pairing for the Blues are the Blackhawks top pairing and the Blue Jackets top pairing. T-Bone, you were in attendance for the Blue Jackets. You were able to see how awful that pairing is. They are not particularly good. No, not pretty in person either. How do the Blues fix this, Alex? Because it is something that has to be better next year. On average, per 60 minutes, the Blues are being outscored by one when the Letty Pareko pairing is on the ice at per 60 minutes. How do you fix this? Well, it, it, first you start internally, and do you put Marco Schiandella back up there to see if they can reignite a fire that they had a few years ago? Um, I'm surprised that we haven't seen that yet. They must, the coaching staff, see something with Pareko and Letty that they feel like is productive. Um, after that, then I think you get to the Scott Pernovich question. 
Is Scott Perunovich ready to play with Colton Pareko on a every night basis? And can he perform at that top level? You're not going to find that out this season because my gut tells me Scott Perunovich will not join this Blues team unless the Thunderbirds miss the postseason and he gets a couple of games at the end of the season. I think the only way you fix this is going out there and finding a way to trade for Colton Pareko's pairing mate. And I know somebody texted in earlier on our Air Comfort Service text line, and they said, good luck doing that with the $4 million you have in cap space. Well, you're going to be doing that in terms of money in, money out. You're going to be trading one of your left-handed defensemen so that you can go acquire another left-handed defenseman. And I don't know who that is. There's a couple of teams that, at least right now, would seem intriguing to me, uh, Philadelphia being one of them. But, I mean, look, Ryan Graves is a free agent. I brought his name up in the past. Maybe you dip your toe in that water. Who's having a good season? He's a free agent this year. That's right. And Ooh. he's having a really good season with the New Jersey Devils. Can he be a guy that plays with Colton Pareko? Um, member of the Ferrario Five. They've Don't also got that, a Timo. million different players to resign this offseason in New Jersey. Well, yeah, including Timo Meyer. Yeah, who I don't think Graves is going to be high on their priority no. list is the reason I bring no. that up. And so he would be somebody that I would be very intrigued by. But like, look also, I mean, John Marino got traded in the offseason from Pittsburgh because they had a plethora of defensemen. Somebody's going to have too many defensemen that they got to move on from. That opens up the possibility. But the only way you're going to fix this is to go out and find that left-handed defenseman who can play with Pareko because I don't believe you have it internally right now. Yeah, I, I don't think you have it internally either. And I, to your point on the the uh, Perunovic one, he is the guy that I think it was two years ago, or maybe it was just a year yeah, ago, where Army, Army said, you know, we view him as kind of, I can't remember if he said it was a Pareko pairing mate yeah, or did. a top pairing mate. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you. I don't think they have it internally. But my fear would be, though, yes, I agree, Pareko is better when he has a good partner with him, and we've seen the struggles when he doesn't look at last year, for example. My fear is trying to find the partner with Colton Pareko is you're going to continue to chase your tail like it feels like they've been doing over the last couple of years with Letty, with uh, Scandella was the original one after the Bo, after Bowmeister had to retire. And, and with me saying all that, I feel like if you have to say that, that we need to find Pringle's, uh guy, I, I don't know what you do because I don't think the Blues can continue to be kind of chasing their tail. I almost feel like for them to solve this issue, it's got to be Pareko that solves the issue and becomes that guy, becomes that outspoken guy that we're talking about on the ice that can take that role. I, can he do that? I, I don't know. And that's where the conversation for me turns to, are you looking at moving him in the offseason? To me, it would be more of, okay, I don't think we can continue to chase our tails. You almost have to look to move Colton Pareko. And I know that's probably that's popular among the text line, not, not popular in this room probably, but I, I don't think you continue to go, okay, these two guys that we brought in, didn't work. Now I had to experiment. Maybe experiment with the young guy. Maybe if you try that for a year and see. But I don't think you continue to keep saying, "Okay, we got to go to the trade market." Oh, we got to go to free agency because it hasn't worked. Well, I think you got to go to the trade market. And to your point, Pareko has proven that he can do this with a bad line mate. At least in these last six games, we've seen him take a step to the next level. And that's what BK talked about earlier. Of you got to find a way how you can harness this and make sure it's there for eighty-two plus games. But beyond that, I think we could all just. Hey, you made the wrong decision two times of trying to find that left-handed defenseman in Tory Krug and Nick Letty. It has not worked. Marco Scandella. Marco Scandella. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. Like, do you go back and try that again for the rest of the season? I wouldn't mind it because Marco Scandella has proven to be a good depth defenseman. I think for they're your, all the same. They're all the same. But I'd rather have him for $3 million play with Pareko than $6.5 million for somebody who's been playing on the third pair. I think the, the reality might be this. It might be a two-year thing. 
because Doug Armstrong, when we talked with him out of the Centene Community Ice Center, Alex, he said, I, I, this is a 12 to 24 month rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. He doesn't expect the Blues to be back into the playoffs next year. Now, it might happen. Like, they might end up falling into that, and things are kind of, they're sped up quicker than anticipated. Maybe there's something that presents itself this offseason that he didn't foresee that's possible. But the expectation right now is that next year is kind of more of this, let's find out what we have. And that's why they decided to go this route with Vrana and Kapanen, for example. So maybe you don't end up getting your fix with Pareko next year. Maybe what they do is they say, it's going to be another year of Scandella with Pareko. We're going to try to move some money around. Maybe Krug gets traded in the offseason. Let's find out what Perunovic is on that second pairing. Like, let's let's continue experimenting with things. Let's experiment with Perunovic playing alongside Colton Pareko. Let's find out what these guys are. But if they decided that they wanted to make a big splash, my fear is what you guys mentioned, which is you do the same thing. You, you chase your tail again, and you go out there, and you – like call up the Philadelphia Flyers, for example. Their interim GM came out the other day and said, this is not a fire sale, but it is a rebuild, and we're going to have to move some pieces. They've got two guys that we've been talking about, Alex, for like, what, three years now? Yeah. Travis Sanheim and Ivan Provorov. They're both fine players, but they're both kind of like Colton Pareko, where in Philly, fans are frustrated because they're not living up to their expectations with their contracts. But... You look at the numbers on a stat sheet, and you're like, man, they're they're really not that bad. Travis Sanheim, for example, is put into really difficult situations, has performed okay defensively, but you look at some of his underlying numbers, they're not very good. He's also playing for a terrible team And right I also now. think he's in the same circumstance as Colton Pareko, where you look at who he's playing with, and, I mean, he's playing with Rasmus Ristolainen, who has not been a good defenseman for Philadelphia. Maybe you go out there and you mentioned previously Ryan Graves. Maybe you go make that move, and you say, let's let's see if this can work. Vegas it, is the other one. I brought up Nicholas Haig's name a lot. Maybe Vegas has to move on from Nicholas Haig in the offseason. There's going to be options that are available out there. I guess my question is this. If you're Doug Armstrong, do you go do it for a maybe, or do you wait for something that presents itself that is a certainty? And that's where I, I don't know. I, I, I think I would rather wait and be late next year on it than get myself stuck with something that might end up coming back to bite. Well, and that's why I'm really curious. Uh, The way you can acquire that defenseman, if you feel like he's the right one, and that's the only way I'm doing this, is if I feel he is the right one. Evaluation purposes. You do have two late first-round picks. You could probably get this player on top of moving out one of your defensemen. But if I don't have to do that, and I don't feel like that player is the right one, or he's not available, then I do slow play this in the 24 month plan rather than the 12 month plan that Doug talked about, you could potentially have three picks, two of those three being somewhere between 17 and 23. Maybe you draft a defenseman there and then maybe that defenseman can become available to you. That's going to take a while though. Rather than trading for a defenseman, I would rather see them go next season trading away a couple of left-handed defensemen and give opportunities to some of these guys in your system to find out who they are. And then when you figure out who they've got next season, you become aggressive and go get that. I think that's the move. I think the move is to right now give opportunities internally. And then if they don't work out, then you look and find out what you can get potentially externally, whether that be at the trade deadline or next off season. I agree. And I would say I would wait as well. And, And the thing for me too, as you said, unless you think it's the right guy, my concern, and I think they have to look themselves in the mirror, is that they said that with Letty, with Scandella. They and, and they, I don't think they should fall for that same trap. They may end up being right, but I, I would say 
be cautious of that. I, I hate to say this because it's just it's not fair to those players, but it does feel like both of those guys were settlements. You didn't get Petro, and you needed to get the next best thing, and that there was Tory Krug. Yeah, and Nick Letty was. You tried after Hampus Lindholm and Jacob Chikrin. You didn't get him, and so the, you, you found your way to Nick Letty. Hey, man, we've all been there. You get out of a tough breakup. You got to have a rebound opportunity. T-Bone, you've been there, right, buddy? Yeah. Yeah, not proud of that. You wake up the next morning, and you say, made some bad decisions last night. I don't know how I ended up here. T-Bone will be saying that Thursday in Alton, Illinois. It. Hopefully not. Boy, if that happens, we've got some follow-up questions for Tanner Hendrickson. And some stories on Friday in the junk drawer. Some weird stuff's about to take place at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. By the way, you can join us at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois, where we're going to be broadcasting a Thursday and Friday live from 11 to 2, and then the fast lane will be from 2 to 6. Let's be honest. It's basically BK and Ferrario plus Anthony Stalter Thursday and Friday from 11 to 6. Alex is going to be joining Stalter on the fast lane on Thursday. I will be with Stalter on the fast lane on Friday. Come out enjoy delicious food the coldest beer plenty of screens to watch all of the first round madness plus you can give t-bone crap as illinois is playing you can give me plenty of crap as mizzou's playing hopefully they don't lose in the tournament this time around and this is going to be your chance to win metallica metallica tickets at the dome on sunday november 5th it's all available to you if you come out and check us out say hello at max in downtown olton that's thursday and friday for the ncaa tournament coming up next more on the ncaa tournament we're beginning our in NCAA tournament regional breakdowns. We're going to do one of these each of the next couple of days. We'll do two of them on Thursday prior to the start of the tournament. What is the game that you're most intrigued to see in the East region? What is the first round upset that you're picking? We're going to break this all down for you coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's NCAA tournament season, ladies and gentlemen. First round action of the tournament begins on Thursday and Friday. We are going out to Max in downtown Alton, Illinois, and you have got to get in tr- get set up with this year's Bracket Madness Pick'em Challenge right now. Go to 101ESPN.com. Free to answer this year's top score. Taking home $250 in Fanatics gift cards and a 101 ESPN prize packs. To see the full details, go to 101ESPN.com. It's all presented by Neutral and Twin Peaks. All right, let's break down the East region, boys. Let's start with this. The game in the East that you are most intrigued to see, and for everybody at home that maybe doesn't have a bracket in front of them, the top four seeds in the East region are Purdue, Tennessee, Marquette, and K-State. Those are the top four teams in this particular region. Alex, the game you're most intrigued to see in the first round is what? Mine's the 8-9 seed, Memphis versus uh, FAU. It's going to be a fun one. Penny Hardaway's team found a way to take down Houston in that tournament, which I think that's a good feeling going into that round. But with the, if I'm not mistaken, the Florida Atlantic one, they're a hell of a three-point shooting team. So you're going to get a big team that plays quick, that's got an incredible point guard uh, for Memphis, and then you've got the three-point team. I always like those 8-9 seeds because that's about as even as you can ask for when those first round. So that's going to be the one that I'm looking forward to most. Memphis, a two and a half point favorite in Vegas in that one. T-Bone, your favorite first round matchup is what? It's Duke Oral Roberts. I I can't get a good read on this because Duke comes into this 
They are playing good basketball of late. They're, they're a great defensive team, and they're hot coming into the tournament. Where I can't remember what the exact number is, but they've won the ACC tournament. What does hot mean in the ACC? That conference <laughs> had a down year. Oral Roberts, they've been here, done that before. Max Abrams, great scorer. I think he finished seventh in the nation in points per game. He was a big part of their upset win two years ago when they were a 15 seed and took down Ohio State. To me, this game's a coin flip. I can see where Duke's out in the first round and Oral Roberts is potentially dancing into the Sweet 16, or I can see Duke going all the way to the Final Four. So this region kind of stinks, if you want me to be totally honest with you guys. I think it is the worst of the four. If there is a game that you guys didn't mention, because I think those are the two best, that would be intriguing. It is Providence versus Kentucky. I have Kentucky advancing in that one, but... I think that is the one that has the most upset potential that I don't think people are picking a lot of that 6-11 first round matchup between those two teams. As we continue with our breakdown, the most likely first round upset in this region, Alex Ferrario is what? It's the, it's the matchup that T-Bone just went with. I've got Oral Roberts taking down Duke in the first round. In fact, um, I've got Oral Roberts going to the Sweet 16 because I got them taking down uh, Tennessee, although I don't think Tennessee gets out of the first round, but I, that one was the coin flip for me. I got Oral Roberts taking down Tennessee in the second round. I I just I don't buy into Duke the way that Tanner was just talking about there, and I know this is a team that a lot of people are real high on and sexy with, but I, I'm out on it. I, hot I think and heavy. Or, hot and heavy. I think Oral Roberts takes them down, and then I think they make their way to the Sweet 16. I like it. I keep going back and forth. Who knows what my bracket will look like by the time it's gonna we get start torn on up Thursday. in the first round. It's okay, but. I, I think Tennessee's going down in the first round. I, I think the Ziegler injury is huge for them, and they're kind of limping into this NCAA tournament. Not a lot of teams limp into the tournament and then go on a run, especially when you're missing one of your best players. Do you have I any think concern that Louisiana's bad? No, <laughs> because I think Tennessee without Ziegler is closer to bad. So I, I like I like Louisiana with the upset here. Can I can I tell you someone that I'm not picking on the upset, but I think I might take them to cover the spread because I think they got a legit shot. No USC. No. Vermont. Keep an eye on Vermont. They don't turn the basketball over, and if they don't, they might push Marquette. I don't think they win, but it'll be close. I'm going to be honest with you. I had them as my second pick in this one. If you guys guys chose my first one, they were going to be my second pick, uh, even though here in a minute. (laughs) Wouldn't be good for, for your boy if that ends up happening. Me too. I've got USC. I've gone back and forth on that USC-Michigan State game. It's going to be close, man. You're going to look in Vegas. It's going to be a couple of points one way or the other. Um, I'm going to take USC as the 10 seed to upset Michigan State in that one, though. The sleeper team. Your sleeper team to get out of this region, Alex, is who? Give me a non-top four. Honestly, it's Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, I mean, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm like high on this team, <laughs> but when you talk about Max Abrams and for how great of a player, what is he like the top five scoring point producer in the country? If you get through Duke, I think you got an easy enough pass to get path to get to that sweet 16. And depending on what Memphis Purdue, if those are the matchups in that second round do, I mean, you're talking about Oral Roberts potentially taking on Purdue. You get through that. You're talking about a final four appearance. I can't believe I'm saying this too, but I, I think it's Oral Roberts oh, for me mother. too. I they you know have gonna experience. Happen, right? Duke's going to beat them by 20 uh, because well, you guys yeah. both. If that's them. the case, no, you you I, act like we're the BKO. You're the BKO. The, the other team, because I'll go different than Oral Roberts, because again, I, I still don't know where I'm going to land on that game by the time yeah, we start I hate the tournament. the East region, by the I, way. It's terrible. You picked USC. It might be Michigan State. Their defense is bad. Damn, can they shoot the basketball? <laughs> I, I think they might have enough scoring to outscore their problems to where they can make a surprise run. Now, it's going to be tough. They would have to go through USC, Marquette, and then possibly Kansas State or Kentucky. 
but I think they could be that surprise team that makes a run. My team's Duke. It's weird to call Duke a <laughs> okay, sleeper, well, but they're a five seed. T-Bone and I are feeling good then. Uh, I, I've got Duke making it to the Elite Eight in yeah, this region. Yeah, Oral Roberts. <laughs> so I, I have them as my, my sleeper squad. Again, it's so weird to call Duke a sleeper. <laughs> I, like the two options that I had on this were Duke and Kentucky. Is that a sleeper? Those are two of the blue blood programs, but that's your five, six in this region. All right. As we continue you on, you just took Texas Southern FDU. I <laughs> could, you could honestly answer this question by basically any team in this region. And I would say it's probably an acceptable answer. Who's the team that you are the most confused by in this region? I just can't get your grab. You can't get a grip on who they are. I want to say Duke, but I'm going to try and get away from Oral Roberts Duke matchup because I've done the last two. It, probably is Providence because Providence in that first round matchup with Kentucky I, like you said that's a coin flip but yep. you want to talk about an easy path whomever comes out of that one might have it going all the way to the Sweet 16 in that victory between Providence and Kentucky because I'm kind of out on Marquette and then the other teams it's just kind of a coin flip in the first round so I, I would say the team I'm most confused by is Providence but honestly could throw in Kentucky there one of those two teams confuses the hell out of me it, it's both Duke and Kentucky for me because I don't know how much I buy that hot run from Duke again the ACC was in a down year and then Kentucky I mean Same they were thing. a team we were talking about oh John Calipari he's on the hot seat and then they went on a run and then they cooled back off and then they went back on a run and now there is a sixth seed in this region their only one thing that I think is going to really benefit them is they can just rebound the hell out of the basketball and I, I think that's going to be part of the reason why they get past Providence because they're so small but those two teams confuse the hell out of me why isn't anybody picking Kansas State that's that's what's confusing to me is why in a region where we all agree the top four are weak. Why isn't anybody picking K-State to come out of this one? They were excellent this year. And I know that you're going to argue for the Big Ten, T-Bone. I'm not. I would say it was the Big 12. I think the Big 12 <laughs> was the best conference in the country. This year, K-State had wins over West Virginia, Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas, TCU, Iowa State, again against Baylor. And nobody's picking this team to come out of the East, a region that we all agree is pretty weak. That's the team that I'm confused by. Why is that? What am I missing that other people are seeing? They play up-tempo. They've got a good defense. Their offense has been efficient all season long, even in a very difficult conference. That's the team that I'm confused by. They turn the ball over, and I think that's the biggest reason that you're seeing people kind of lean away from them. Because that's the one thing, like I think it was Illinois last year, two years ago turnovers where i thought would do them in i think it was the loyal their path though i think makes that less important because like montana states knock on wood not going to beat them kentucky isn't a team that really hurts you defensively like that maybe marquette could take advantage of it if marquette ends up getting that far that's the team that you'd probably point to but k-state could get through this thing i could totally see k-state ending up in the final four and i don't think that it should shock anybody as a result of that all right final one Speaking of who's going to get to the final four, who you guys got making it out of this region? Who's your pick to come out of the East? Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts. This is, this is the Are bra- you serious? I have two brackets filled out, and this is the one that I like the most out of it. I have Oral Roberts taking down Purdue in the Elite Eight, getting to the final four. Wow, good for you. I, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I have him be taking so, down him in Sweet 16, and then I have him taking down... I have them taking down Providence in the uh, Elite Eight and then uh, Oral Roberts getting the Final Four. Wow, you've got an 11 seed and a 12 seed taking on each other in the Elite Eight. Did I not say at the beginning of this that I hate the East region? It's terrible. I mean, this is going to be the one that ends up 
ripping up your bracket in one way or another. Whether you go, you you decide to go with all of the upsets and then it ends up going chalky or you decide to go chalky and then every upset possible. That was my upset. There's no good way to go. That was my upset region. I have two regions that are straight chalk and then the Midwest is kind of in between. I have Marquette coming out of this region. I I hate it. I have the meeting Kansas State, and I think if if Kansas State beats Marquette, I can see where Kansas State can make that Final Four run that you were just talking about. I just think they're good enough defensively. They can force turnovers, and then offensively they play at a great pace. I I think they're going to be the team that gets through. I I think Purdue, I don't trust them. Anytime you got to run an offense through a big man, it's tough for me to buy in. I think they lose somewhere along the line. I think Marquette's the team I'm buying into, and I love – you said you don't trust them. Maybe I don't trust Marquette, but I trust Shaka Smart. I think he's a hell of a basketball coach. I have Purdue losing in the uh, second round. Purdue's the team that I just I don't trust. I, I, that's yeah, they're the they're the number the most number one team that is the flukiest to me. So Purdue has an excellent player, but they play a a style that I do not trust in the tournament. If you play that regressive, we're gonna hold the ball and we're gonna slow it down. We're gonna feed it to the big man, like super low tempo, super low possessions. That ends up getting you beat in the tournament. It's very rare that that is super successful over the long haul. I think they're going to end up making it further than some people are suggesting, but I could see FAU beating them. If FAU has a really good three-point game, potentially in the second round, if FAU gets past Memphis. Um, My team is Marquette as well. I've got Marquette making it, and it's because of that frenetic style of play. We've seen what Shaka Smart can do in the tournament in the past when he's got the guys to be able to do it. This is a very talented team. That he's got up at Marquette this season. He's got his guys now as a part of the program. They're playing his style. I think Marquette's the team that ends up getting out of the East. So to break it all down, I've got Marquette. Alex has Oral Roberts. T-Bone's got Marquette. Don't pick those teams. You're probably going to do pretty well in the East region this year. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, has the quarterback carousel actually changed anything in the NFL? It might be changing things for the Jets, not sure if it's a good thing for him, though. We'll talk about that coming up in 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. bank and you see somebody walk in and say please pardon me for doing this but this is a robbery please give me one dollar thank you what would your reaction be as a fellow customer at that bank crap i don't have any dollars on me (laughs) me too actually son of a the one time that i could get out of this with a dollar and i don't have it on me i should have clarified he asks the teller next to you you're oh, at the teller okay. he's at a teller there you're having two different conversations with two different tellers and he says to the teller i need one dollar this so, is a robbery so i've always thought about this which is just a weird thing to state but like i i i, I want to say that i try and be a hero and if the guy's standing next there like you try and jump on him and stop him before anything happens but i don't trust myself enough and I feel like I would just cower. The reason why I ask is because a 65-year-old man named Donald allegedly entered a Wells Fargo bank in Salt Lake City last week. He presented a note to the bank teller that read, please pardon me for doing this, but this is a robbery. Please give me $1. Thank you. Very polite. 
Yeah, I'd give him the dollar. And what did he need the dollar for? The employees complied. They asked him to leave, but he refused. In a bizarre twist, he said, nope, I actually think you should call the police. He then sat down in the bank's lobby and waited for the police to arrive. After they arrested him. What a gentleman. He said, I committed a federal crime because I, quote, wants to get arrested and go to federal prison. End quote. What is going on in Donald's life that he has determined willingly I am going to commit this crime because I want to go to federal Maybe a little prison. bit of identity crisis? Dude, I don't, it, it, there is nothing further in the story other than that, like, he's got a, he's got a pass, he had a DUI investigation for careless driving, he was found to be using a suspended Missouri license, by the way, while he was oh, out in Utah. Not good for us, Donald. There's not a whole lot of background on, like, why he did this or what led to the decision that Serious? he wanted to go to federal prison, but when somebody does something like this... Makes you question about where they're at in their head. Serious question, though. Would he go to federal prison? Apparently, he was uh, released from jail. He he was booked into Saint Le- uh, Salt Lake County Metro Jail on a felony robbery charge. Yeah, but he was no longer in custody as of Wednesday because it was a dollar. And I would imagine because he honestly, they probably looked at this and said, rather than prison, we might need to send you to a mental mental institution. Because I know it's pretty rare that you walk into a bank and say, I'd like a dollar, please, and then sit down and say, go ahead and call the cops. Man, I, I can't imagine. Um, oh, somebody said Donald Donald might have cancer. Couldn't afford the surgery. When you're in federal prison, they will do it for free. That's an interesting I way to do it. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I, I had no idea. Um, Boy, that would be a strange way to go about it, though. Man, it like when I read this story the first time, it made me kind of sad. So you're like... Man, what has to be going on in your life to get you to that place Maybe where that. you're so <laughs> desperate where you say, my only option here is I want to be sent to federal prison. No insurance. You have some type of thing that you need to be taken care of. And you say, this is the easiest crime for me to commit where I get a slap on the wrist and can walk away, but I can get the surgery I need. Yep. I, I could see it. I, I mean, it's it's sad. I mean, it's yeah, that's depressing. But- Glad I could bring you guys up yeah, here. Yeah, way to ruin yeah, my Tuesday. Yikes. In 15 minutes, we're playing By a game of better to forget it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Probably could have stopped him from robbing the bank. That would have been the one time I would have been able to. Yeah. He didn't have a gun or anything. He just said, he put on a note, I'm sorry to do this, but please give me a dollar. I'm robbing your bank. Would I, you? Got if you were next to him at the teller, would you like kind of look at the note that he handed? And be like, what the hell was that? And then when you see it says rob the place, I'm like, yeah. Let's stop this. Guy. You know, I'm not in the business typically at the bank of looking over at what other people are doing. I typically want to get in and get out and oh, go yeah. along with my You don't want to ruin the rest of your life looking at what somebody's I'm depositing good. in the bank? I'm good. I don't need to see anything else that anybody is doing at the bank. No. Nope. Oh, I'm always Mm-mm. curious. Yeah, I'd like to peek no over sorry. the shoulder. Yeah. Coming up next, has the quarterback carousel actually changed anything about how we feel regarding these teams across the league? I think the answer is No. And I'm actually feeling a little worse at this point about one of the teams that's actively courting a future Hall of Fame quarterback. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
Carousel actually changed anything in the NFL. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to better to forget it coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. So Derek Carr is the new starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Does that make the Saints better? I think it does. Does it make them a championship contender, though? I'd be pretty surprised by that. Otherwise, guys, like Jimmy Garoppolo replaced Derek Carr in Las Vegas. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr are all that dissimilar. Honestly, I think you can make a pretty strong argument. Derek Carr is a better, more sturdy version of Jimmy Garoppolo. Geno Smith stayed with the Seahawks. Daniel Jones is making $40 million a year for the New York Giants. Good for him. Lamar, as of today, is still with the Ravens. Angrily tweeting, but it's fine. I don't think anything's really changed so far. Alex, has anything tangibly changed for you based on the way that you feel about teams with the quarterback mo- movement that we've seen? I think the Raiders got a little bit better because it, I, I just felt like it was getting stale with Derek Carr there and you needed a fresh face. And now you've got because, again, I don't trust Josh McDaniels as a, as a head coach. But if you get a quarterback that's familiar with your scheme, maybe you get some a little bit more success. I think the Raiders got incrementally better, but they were six and 11 last year. Do you think they're going like 10 and seven this year? I think they Jimmy get to Garoppolo? like nine wins with Jimmy G. You do? Yeah. Okay. I think you could be on a – I, I believe they'll be better than the Denver Broncos this season, which last season I know they were right there, but better than them, meaning a couple of wins better rather than just one. T-Bone, where are you at? Do you think that based on the stuff that we've seen so far, we'll get to the expected moves as well, but based on what we've seen movement-wise at the quarterback position thus far, has anything tangibly changed for you? No, because I, I don't think New Orleans got all that much better. I, I think that – Will they be the best team in the NFC South? Yeah, but that's not saying a whole lot. Uh, I I look at the move of Jimmy G to Las Vegas, and he's going to be hurt after five games, so who's the backup plan for them? Um, And I'm trying to think if there's any other moves that we've seen yet, but like Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, them staying put, Like I I view those teams kind of the same way as I did last year. So I I don't think anything's really tangibly changed for me, and it's not saying much when I say like the best move that added the most kind of quote-unquote win value to it was card of the Saints because it makes him probably the favorites in the NFC South. So, no, I, I don't think the carousel's done a lot for me. All right. So the move that is still to come is Aaron Rodgers. Everybody expects that he's going to end up with the Jets. And part of the reason now why people are expecting that he's going to end up with the Jets is because of what the Jets have done. They have now signed... Randall Cobb, who is, you know, his best friend. It's his wingman. They've signed Alan Lazard. They are reportedly interested in Mercedes Lewis, who is, I think, 75 years old. Don't check my math on that. It's good. There has now been a report from Diana Rossini, Alex's uh, favorite reporter, who said Aaron Rodgers has provided the New York Jets with a wish list of free agents he would like to see them target and acquire. That wish list included Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Mercedes Lewis, and Odell Beckham Jr. Guys, if I'm the Jets, at some point, don't you have to say, man, is this even worth it? (laughs) Aaron Rodgers is 39 years old. You're not going to get more than a couple of seasons out of Rodgers. Rodgers last year showed cleared signs of regression. He has been dealing over the last few seasons with some injury question marks. His team was not good last year, and he was part of the problem. Yes, so was the defense. Yes, so were other things that took place, offensive line, injury-wise. I get all of that. If you're paying $40 million a year for a quarterback, if you're adding his 
hand-selected pieces around him to be able to build this roster around Aaron Rodgers, he needs to be able to elevate the talent around him as well. And at this point in his career, I'm not sure that Aaron Rodgers is doing a whole lot of that. We also know he's not particularly well-liked. We know that he's going to cause a lot of question marks, distractions off the field. I get it's Aaron Rodgers, and when you have the opportunity to add a future Hall of Fame quarterback, it's really hard to say no when he wants to come to you and you want to add him to your roster and you're desperate at the quarterback position. I get all of that. But at some point, he's holding your franchise hostage, man. You can't do anything else until you find out for sure that Rodgers is coming. Now you need to go out there and make all of these moves at wide receiver because he only wants to play with his friends. (laughs) This is absurd. What we're watching right now, Aaron Rodgers has become a worse version of Brett Favre, honestly. Brett Favre didn't do this. Brett Favre did all of the things where he waited, waited, waited. I want all the attention, all that stuff. He wasn't forcing teams to go sign his friends, his buddies that he's been playing with. This is ridiculous. He's doing what the Colts did have done with the quarterbacks. Like the Jets are doing what the Colts did in terms of you're just, and I know that Rodgers is better than, Philip Rivers and Carson Wentz, the cycle that they were doing once Andrew Luck retired. But that's what the Jets are doing. The Jets are just handcuffing themselves for two years with a uh, quarterback that is um, descending rather than getting any better. And then two years from now, when you have nothing to showcase for it, you're going to be sitting there saying, now we got to start this whole thing over again. And maybe the Jets are in a better position with Aaron Rodgers and the, the, the Colts were when they went with uh, Matt Ryan and I'm the Philip sure Rivers. I'm not sure that they are more than what the Colts were with Philip Rivers because I think AFC was worse when the Colts yeah. had Philip Rivers. Their division was, ter- was not nearly as good as the AFC East is right now. And this is my other point on the Rodgers thing. Okay, so the Jets went 7-10 and last year, and all they really needed was competent quarterback play to make the playoffs. I get all of that. I think the Jets have a real chance to make the playoffs this year with Aaron Rodgers. But are the Jets a championship contender with Aaron Rodgers? My, My answer to that would be a resounding no. I think the Bengals are better than them. I think the Bills are better than them. I think the Jaguars might be better than them. I think the Chiefs are better than them. I think the Chargers might be better than them. The Dolphins might even be better right now than the New York Jets. In fact, I would pick the Dolphins right now above the New York Jets Thanks for that third despite round pick. the quarterback situation. That's six teams. The Jets might be the seventh best team in the AFC right now. They might end up not even being that good because last year the Baltimore Ravens, without Lamar Jackson for half the season, were 10-7, and seven, and this year you're expecting maybe. We'll see they could potentially have him for the entirety of the season. I don't know, man. This seems like a lot to get a quarterback that was mediocre last year that causes a lot of headaches off the field, and now he's forcing you to sign all of his buddies on the field. I don't know. I I wouldn't. At some point, I would wash my hands and say, I'm good. I don't need this Aaron Rodgers problem. Somebody texted in. Packers, you deal with this. Somebody texted in and said, didn't Brady do this with Tampa Bay with uh, Antonio Brown? and Brady's friends were good. Well, that's what I said. I said, yeah, and he backed it up with his team. Like, Aaron Rodgers is bringing guys who probably should be retired by now. Randall Cobb's not good. No. Mercedes Lewis is the next year will be the year where he breaks the record for the longest run playing consecutive seasons in the NFL as a tight end. Like, the guys that he's bringing over to the New York Jets are washed up. Rob Gronkowski was a future Hall of Famer. Antonio Brown, despite his off-field stuff in terms of just the on-field product, was on pace to be a future Hall of Famer. 
that is not the same situation. And oh, by the way, the NFC was much worse than the AFC is right Rogers now. Rodgers is, uh, they're apparently, at, uh, he wants o- Odell Beckham Jr. That's just because he wants somebody who makes more news rather than Aaron Rodgers. So he's not in the news. And Odell Beckham is asking for $20 million per year right now, reportedly. And he's asking for it on a multi-year contract. Woof. Like, it, it's just... Yeah, you're handcuffing that team, and they're going to be bad in two years because you spent all of these assets, and you spent all of this time thinking that you're a Super Bowl contender, and you're not going to be. And then two years from now, when Rodgers retires and all of these other guys retire, you're going to be sitting there saying, well, what did we do with the growth of our team? Yeah, I, I if he wasn't bringing over his friends, I would totally be all in on this. And I, I do sure. think he would make them better. Would he make them like a top contender in the AFC? Probably not, but he probably puts you kind of in that second tier or right at the fringe of that second tier. When I got to start bringing all your buddies that are old out of their prime, like no, I. To your point, I would go. Sorry, Green Bay, that's your issue. He's not. He's not coming over to us. We don't want him. We'll. We'll figure it out with. And this is where it really kicks him in the. You know what? Because it, it's you could have been after say someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. You could have been after exactly. someone like Derek Carr. And now, now that both those guys are off the board, who's the best free agent quarterback out there? Honestly. No clue. I have no idea. Darnold's off the board. Winston's off the board. Um, I mean, you could trade for... Honestly, here's a question for you. If you're the Jets and you have this option, and both of them are going to basically cost you nothing to be able to bring in, would you have rather traded for Ryan Tannehill at his contract and at his age? Again, you're giving up very little for him. He's making like $25 million a year, something like that. Or Aaron Rodgers along with all of the rest of this stuff that comes with it. Given where they're at in their life cycle, I think I'd rather have Ryan Tannehill. And I know that sounds crazy. I know because Rodgers is better than Tannehill. I'm not sure at this point in his career how much better he actually is than Ryan Tannehill when Tannehill's healthy. And given what else comes along with Aaron Rodgers, I, I would just rather go that route. And even more so, if I'm the Jets, I'm saying, you know what? Screw all of this. Let's just go sign the the contract for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Let's go do it. Let's give him $50 million a year, fully guaranteed. He's 26 years old. He's a top five to seven quarterback in the league right now. Let's just go make that thing work instead of doing going through all this trouble to potentially get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they're not going to do it. They're going to get Rodgers, and it's they're probably going to end up going 9-8, and 10-7 and seven next year, and everybody's going to finish the season saying, man, that was weird. But I, I just don't think that any of this is worth it for them. Yeah, you're going to spend probably the $50 million that it would be just guarantee Lamar Jackson on Lazard, Lewis, Cobb, and Aaron Rodgers. And Ob- Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, more than that to where you could have just upgraded your team. What a disaster this will be. I feel bad for Robert Sala because I really like him, and I, I wonder how much he truly wants Aaron Rodgers. They made the mistake. The, the first Their mistake. Owner wants Rodgers. Yeah. I know. That's, that's what here. I'm saying. Like, what, I, I wonder how you, much Robert Sala really wants well, Aaron Rodgers. you went Rogers. out there and you got Nathaniel Hackett because you wanted to bring in Aaron Rodgers. Like, you started down this path when you brought in Nathaniel Hackett, and then you just you dug your own grave, and now you can't get out of it. That's, that's the thing that I don't understand, man. Like, you did all this for Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career? Not worth it. Doing it for Brady? Like, all right, I get it. Brady's won titles, dude. Like, he's won more than a fistful of titles. Aaron Rodgers won one. One. And it was the, a decade ago. And when the Broncos did this for Peyton Manning, it, again, made sense because they were they had everything else. They just needed the quarterback. It's just a weird thing, man. I, I, I don't get it. I really do not who, understand Who has it. a better record by the end of the season, the Giants or the Jets? I think I'd take the Giants. I I still think I would go Jets. I I think. Can can I be honest? I 
as much as there is a, I do think Rodgers will have a good year with the Jets because I think, I think he's, be I think he's somewhat. I don't. I don't know. Motivate is the right word at this point since he's going on his darkness retreats. But <laughs> I, I do think he would have kind of that one kind of bounce back year. Will it be like MVP level? Probably not. But I don't think he would be as bad as as a uh, last year. I, I don't know if Jones, like Daniel Jones, is your quarterback. Like, I'm if I had to bet on one you. person to. to Regress, it would be Aaron Rodgers. Like even if it would be Daniel Jones. I, I I just don't think Daniel Jones is very good. Like if I had to pick between those two, Alex, to just answer your question directly, I would pick the Jets, and I would think that they'd go like ten and seven. I, I think the Giants might end up like winning seven games this year. I would go I think the opposite. Bad. I would go the opposite way of that I, I think I would take the Jets over the Giants. Coming up next, Our we're Giants playing a game of bet it or forget <laughs> it. Three one four three nine 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 six four six for uh, is the Air Comfort Service X line here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this from the six one eight. Guys, better to forget it. A team from Illinois or Missouri will make it to the Sweet Sixteen. Simo, <laughs> can I be honest with you guys? Yeah, they're, please. They're spoiler tonight. alert: Illinois is going all the way to the Final Four. I've got Mizzou in the Sweet Sixteen. Do you really? Yeah, I've got them beating Arizona. Well, that's a soccer bet. Uh, forget it. <laughs> I don't think anybody from <laughs> Illinois or Missouri, unless there's some team not named Simo that I'm forgetting about. Simo! I, uh, I think Missouri loses in the first round, and then Favorite. I've got Illinois losing in the second round. Man, I think they're losing the first. Do you know how just plastered I'm going to get on Thursday night if Missouri wins? I, I so want to see BK. I, if that's the case, I'm going to bed early. Remember the photo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to my room. I'm closing the door and locking it. Do you remember the photo we took with uh, BK? The kids Do you remember the photo? I remember oh. the photo. We're going to recreate that if Missouri loses because T-Bone will have money on Utah yeah, State. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. Uh, the best part about Thursday is all. What if Mizzou plays in the Sweet 16? That'd be so fun. I, here's the thing. If Mizzou gets past Utah State, I can't see them beating Arizona. You can? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said that you can. No, I, was I like, can. Nah, they, they could do no, it. No, I can. I, Utah State is just going to be pure luck. Whoever shoots the ball better is winning that game. So that's where I hesitate on it. But because I love me some Dennis Gates and I love me some Tigers ball, I'm going to bet it. Mizzou and Arizona have the same number of wins against top 25 teams this year. Yeah, I don't. Or did I say Illinois? Uh, Mizzou and Arizona. No, you yeah, said no. Mizzou. Okay. I thought you said Mizzou. No. Mizzou and Illinois does not. Um, now, Ooh. don't ask me about the losses, Ooh. but uh, hey. same number hey. of wins. Can I, <laughs> can I throw one at you guys? Yep. Tom Pelissero, the Giants are finalizing a trade to acquire Darren Waller. Oh. Bet it or forget it. Giants better than the Jets next season. Ooh, that is a fun one. The if Raiders we, are going to stink. If, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done on the Raiders now. Imagine Jimmy G. What do you mean? I just signed a contract. You just got rid of my tight end. I, that's a it, it, now. Darren Waller can't freaking stay healthy. But if yeah, Darren Waller stays healthy, that's a hell of a trade for the Giants. So I bet this one. The better to forget it is the same question that we Giants had last better one. than the Jets now with this knowledge. No. God, you know, you know, Aaron Rodgers is miserable. Yeah. Daniel Jones now has a weapon, and it's not Bellinger or Billinger, whatever the hell that tight end's name was. The Giant. This is this is a good move from for the Giants. I like in all move. seriousness, I like the move too, but I would forget it still. I hate as well. both of you. I, 
I mean, he's still got Daniel Jones as his quarterback. Like Better than miserable darkness retreat. No, he's not. Daniel Jones is a happy little puppy with $40 million, and he's still not as good as a miserable guy going hiding in the dark. <laughs> By the way, our text line uh, making us aware guys Northwestern could get to the Sweet 16, and that would count for the Illinois side of things as well. Oh. I think Northwestern has a real chance because of UCLA's injury questions. Um, I, I think Northwestern could absolutely get to the Sweet 16 and then just get mollywopped by Gonzaga. Uh, mollywopped? Yeah, that's where I'm going. I uh, I don't like Drew Timmy, so I hope that's not the case. Can I give you guys another one, kind of stemming off of your better to Please, forget I'd it? I'd love for you to. Better to forget it, Devontae Adams ends up getting traded. Forget it. Because you got to keep somebody in Vegas for their team. If you're Devontae Adams, you're demanding a trade at this point, right? Like, they don't have to necessarily follow through with if your trade demand. But if you're Josh Jacobs, I think I'd be demanding a trade also. Like, I, I would want out of Vegas right now, minus the fact that you're playing in Vegas, which I love Vegas. But, yeah, I, I'm going to forget this, though, because they're not going to get rid of Devontae Adams because then what's your selling point? It's really hard to do, by the way. They... They'd have to eat a lot of dead money. I was say, I think he's got a bad contract to trade. I, I'll forget this too. I, I think Vegas still feels like they're a winning football team, which is probably a mistake, but probably. Oh, well, you're right. It is a mistake. <laughs> but I, I think I think their hope will be that Jimmy G can at least keep them competent. I think they dealt Waller because of what you said. He was never healthy. So try and gain some assets for him. I'll forget this. I think they'll hold on to Adams. I think they're drafting a quarterback still too. If they can, I and hope that maybe that guy ends up being the answer for him. And then they can, they've still got Adams when that quarterback's ready. Cause Grapple's deal is essentially like a one year deal, isn't it? Don't, can't they get out of it yeah. after year one? So I, I'll forget this. I'll say Adams stays. Essentially, uh, it's the pick that they acquired in the Kadarius Tony trade last year. Oh, so it was Kadarius Tony for Darren Waller. I would rather have Kadarius Tony. That guy's really fun. Neither can stay healthy. So, uh, guys, sure. bet it or forget it. The Lions are going to win the NFC North this year, and the Bears will make the playoffs. It's a little twofer. This is a T-Bone special with a parlay. This is my new team also, the Lions. I love both of these teams. Uh, Well, the Packers are going to be awful, so that's simple. Let's try to go through what we think ends up happening. So I think the 49ers are going to get in. I think you're going to get Philly back in. I think Dallas is going to get in. Agreed. Giants I think you get one get team from the NFC South. I don't know who it's going to be. One of them Pro- is required to make it. Probably the Falcons or the Saints. I think that Detroit will win that division. Over Minnesota? Yeah, I don't think Minnesota. Minnesota seems to know that they last year was a fluke because yeah. they've released everybody. Um, and Kirk's bad. They're, they're restructuring his deal. Yeah, but the, it's still like paying it out. They're just saving cash. I thought they were restructuring to try and get out of it faster. So those are your top five. I think the Bears get in. That leaves the Bears with your Giants, Alex. I think the Bears and Giants are the team. And then, like, the Seahawks. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot about Seattle the Seahawks. Sneak back in. Seattle probably gets in, so then it comes down to... I mean, it would be very wild for me that the Bears can flip that as quickly from 3 to 14 to being a playoff team. Who's Caroline taking at one was my question. Uh, CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud. Right, L- let's operate under that assumption. Yeah. Carolina's a good one, yeah. They, I think they're, they're going to win that division. Carolina? Yeah. Oh, well... Next year? In the South? Yeah. I mean, why not? Just all of a sudden. So they got C.J. Stroud. I mean, there were one game back last year. Who the hell is C.J. Stroud throwing much? to? The fa- fair question. 
Um, you going with Terrence Marshall as the guy that they're going to be <laughs> heaving bombs to downfield? They're going to draft a wide receiver. They're just going to go throw it and hope that somebody, <laughs> somebody comes, down comes with up it. with it. They're going to sign See, somebody, I... and they've got Shy Smith waiting in the wings <laughs> to be their leading yeah. receiver. Yeah, I'm going to go back with the the Giants and Lions getting in. Yeah. They've got a good offensive line and a great defense. So. I think the, yeah. I think the Saints will be the team that wins the NFC. So. I, that's where I was leaning to. That's why I was stunned Freaking that you said the Panthers. Panthers. My God, man! I, I Maybe they sign like uh, McCole Hardman. Oh yeah, that'll change it. <laughs> He'll be healthy for at least five days. No, McCole Hardman's going to Chicago. That would be really fun. I, Man, I Bears are going to be so good I this year. I brought that up because I thought, you know, if they draft the quarterback and he's really good, maybe yeah, they have, sneak in as like a wild card. You but, wouldn't have traded DJ Moore in next year's yeah, first round pick I, and this year's first round I'm pick. I'm going to forget this one because I'm not still sold that the Bears yeah. are a playoff team. I, I don't think they can get in yet. I think they're about another year away. I, I would say that, too. I think they're going to be on the trajectory that the Lions were, where they have a really good season. I don't think they go 9-8, and eight, but maybe like a... Uh, Seven and ten, something like that. I could see that this season. So I'll say that I'll forget this one. Lions win the division. Bears make the playoffs. Panthers win the NFC South. Parlay it all together. Make yourself a boatload of money. No, not the Panthers. Sorry, man. Or you had to take the Raiders to win the AFC West. What? What? Don't do that. Oh, well, it's just as crazy as saying Panthers win the South. All I know is the Chiefs are going down. What's more likely? Wrong game. (laughs) Alex. Enjoys himself uh, in all option B. <laughs> option B. Or the Raiders him? make the playoffs. Oh wait, no, never mind. Option A. I'll enjoy myself. Option A. I'll, I'll enjoy myself mind. because one, I'm with Stalter until six o'clock, <laughs> yeah. and two, um, I get to see BK depressed when Mizzou gets bounced. I mean, you really get the best of both worlds. Either I'm depressed after Mizzou loses, or I'm over the moon that Missouri has won a no, NCAA tournament game. No, if that happens for the I'm, first time in a decade, if that happens, I'm going back to the room and I'm locking myself in it. What are you rooting for? <laughs> I don't really know, man. I haven't decided what my bets are going to be on the DraftKings app. Once I put the DraftKings bet down. Then I'll tell you what I'm rooting for. I love I love Alton Illinois. I think I would this rather is the best time of the year. I think man. I would rather see Tanner uh like he was last year than you celebrating the zoo. Yeah, giggling and hiccups. Falling asleep and standing in the middle of the road wondering where he was. I'd rather see that once again. Alton gets weird, guys. Yeah. Alton gets Not that weird. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. By the way, I'll have to check for bed bugs for everybody. Oh, thanks, man. We're in a good spot. Well, for Tanner couch bugs. or floor bugs coming up next the cardinals plan for their bullpen right now appears to be attacking it with numbers does it give you confidence that that's their plan and how does it compare to what they did a year ago in the bullpen we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn I said before the break that the Cardinals are attacking their bullpen with numbers from the 3-1-4. BK, they're attacking it with numbers. Don't you realize there's the same number of bullpen arms regardless? Do you mean they're spreading out the workload? Isn't that kind of the point of spring training? No, I should clarify here. What I meant was they've got a lot of arms that they've got available to them that could at some point this year be a part of their bullpen alongside Alex Ferrario and Tater Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie guys. We went through this list earlier today, and this is what we came up with as again, as of today, 
how we would see them breaking camp with their bullpen. Ryan Helsley's locked in. Giovanni Gallegos and Jordan Hicks, I think, are the same way. Wilking Rodriguez, I think, is going to make this roster on opening day. First of all, he's a Rule 5 pick, so if they didn't have him on the opening day roster, they'd have to offer him back to the New York Yankees. He doesn't have options. You can't send him down. And he's been really good so far through spring training. He's appeared in five games, has uh, thrown about five innings worth of work, and he's had swing and miss stuff so far as well. So Wilking Rodriguez, I think, is going to make it. You guys aren't going to like it when I say this name. But Drew Verhagen has quietly had a very good camp so far, and anybody that you talk to that's seen him throw has been super impressed with his stuff. They say that he looks healthy. I'd be shocked if Drew Verhagen is not on the opening day roster. No options, guaranteed contract. You might as well take him in. Same thing is true for Chris Stratton. They would have to DFA him and lose out on him potentially yeah. this season. That I think Stratton one, at least opens the season with the team. That one, I haven't heard the same conversations of what a spring training he's been having. I know he's been kind of bad. Yeah. That leaves two spots available for you in the bullpen to start out the season. One's going to a lefty. The other is probably going to a long reliever. I think as of today, one would go to Zach Thompson. He's been the most impressive of any of the left-handed relievers. And I think the other one would actually go to Jake Woodford, who has been better thus far than Andre Pallante, who'd, I think, start at, at in AAA for the Cardinals. But again, that one could go back and forth depending on what we see the rest of spring training. The reason I bring all of this up, guys, I did not mention Matthew Libertor, Dakota Hudson, Hennessy Cabrera, Misevich, Naughton, Jojo Romero, Connor Thomas, Zuniga, Pacheco, who was just actually claimed by somebody else on waivers Detroit. today, and uh, Jake Walsh as well. That is an extra nine arms that they could at some point have come up to play out of their bullpen for them. That does not include Gordon Graceffo. That does not include Tink Hens, who maybe by at some point this year could Ryan be a part Lutus. of There's a lot of guys that are down in the minors right now that could be a part of this. And again, that's not including any move that they could make at the deadline as well. We know this team's always looking for relievers at the deadline, along with every other contender in Major League Baseball. When you look at that, that's what I mean by they're attacking this with numbers. They're throwing numbers at the problem. Alex, does that give you confidence in the way that they are approaching their bullpen going into the season? Confidence, no, but it, it definitely sparks my interest more than it did going into the season. I, I would prefer, if I wanted to be confident, having a handful of guys that I am certain are going to be there for you, the ups and downs are going to be consistent. And I think you have two of them right now. The rest are wild cards. But it does pique my interest because of a couple of things. One, the versatility that you can utilize if you're Ali Marmol in terms of different players that can be in different spots for you. And two, you're not overworking your bullpen. Because if you've got all of these guys, if fatigue seems to be a problem, you can talk about a quick IL stint, bring somebody up, send somebody back down. The mileage is going to be there at the end of the season. So that's where my ears perk up when you have that many options. But I'm still not confident in this bullpen. Yeah, I, I don't think con- I don't have confidence in it, but I do have some intrigue with some of the arms, not all of them. But I, I, I find it fascinating to see what Rodriguez is going to be like once you get into big league uh, action. I'm curious to know is what we've seen from Thompson for real. Honestly, Verhagen is really intriguing to me, especially the way they've been talking about him. So I have more intrigue in the arms than I do confidence. 
I would feel more comfortable if they had one more arm that they truly trusted if when the season starts. Because though they can tell you, oh, well, we like Rodriguez in the seventh or Verhagen in the seventh or Thompson, they're unknowns. They haven't proven it over a handful of years, unlike Gagos. And I, I guess Helsley hasn't really proven it over a handful of years, but he still looks dominant so far here in spring training. So I, I think they would feel better with one more arm to where when you went into the season, you had three arms that you truly trusted. And then you can kind of work out the kinks, figure out who that fourth arm is going to be, or if you need to go out the deadline and go get somebody. Right now, I think they only have two guys that they truly trust, and that's kind of an uncomfortable feeling for me. And maybe they'll find someone, maybe one of these intriguing arms will end up becoming that third guy. I looked to last year as a guide, and the reason why I say this is because they entered last season with Ryan Helsley, Giovanni Gallegos, and Andre Pallante in your bullpen. And those were the only three guys that started the year in the bullpen that finished there. They also had Hennessy Cabrera, TJ McFarland, Drew Verhagen, Cody Whitley, and uh, Nick Whitgren. That was the rest of their bullpen on opening day last year. Reason I bring this up is because as you look at what the opening day bullpen looks like, just assume there's probably four spots in that pen that are going to be adjusted by the end of the season. That's the way that it typically works out. It could be injury, could be ineffectiveness, could be a guy just... For whatever reason, maybe there was an injury and then there was ineffectiveness. Maybe he just didn't end up living up to the role and was sent down to AAA. I think you're going to see a lot of guys that go in and out of this bullpen throughout the course of the season. And the reason why I am actually a little more confident in this group than I expected to be is because I trust that by midseason, they'll find the group that works. Now, it could end up costing them games at the beginning of the year. That's the concern is that you end up finding out information early on to be able to inform decisions as we get closer to midseason and early on because you didn't have many certainties in your bullpen. You ended up trusting a guy in a spot where you shouldn't have. But in order to get the best bullpen possible by midway through the season, you kind of have to do that. So I, I would have still rather seen them not bring back Stratton and go out and get one of those sure things in the bullpen in the offseason. Agreed. They decided not to go that route, and now I think the best path forward for them is throwing numbers at the problem. So I think this is smart. It's just going to take a little bit of patience at the beginning of the season. So bear with them as they try to get this all sorted through. They've got a lot of numbers to throw at. My fear is that a lot of these numbers that they're going to be throwing at these guys like is not going to work out, and there's going to be a lot of major question marks in the bullpen, and it's going to take a lot of retooling at the deadline. And, that, and that's going to cost... A pretty penny. Like, I know, like, we kind of, they balked at the Andrew Chafin signing. It may cost some prospects when they get to the deadline. We know they don't like to make those kind of moves. As much as we talk about them potentially needing to be aggressive for an ace, relief market is where they're probably going to be big-time players, in my opinion, at the deadline. If I set the over-under at one and a half of bullpen arms that have been DFA'd by the trade deadline, would you take the over the under? DFA'd? Yeah. I'd probably take the under because I think it's only one that's actually DFA'd. Stratton? Uh huh. I, I, I would take the over because I'm really. Wa- Who's I'm, the other guy? I think they could DFA like Naughton or Romero, someone. Oh, like in the bullpen? Yeah. But that would be a. That would just be an option. Sorry, I thought he meant like overall in that group that he said. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I would go under because I think the only one that would probably need it would be. You don't be, think they do it with Hicks, do you? No, you could trade him for somebody. Yeah. Everybody looks at him for some reason, and and says that there's value with his arm there. So I, I think you could trade him. I don't think they would DFA him. Yeah, you've you got value in a guy that throws 100. You could trade If you wanted to get rid of him, if you wanted to bull- move him out of your bullpen, you could trade him somewhere else if you needed to. Um, so I'd take the under on that. If you were asking, though, like over under four guys that start your season in the bullpen, that finish the season in the bullpen, that's where I think it gets pretty interesting. I, I'm not sure. I think I would take the over, but it might be close this year. I think you have more this year than you did last year. Last year you had the three, Helsley, Gallegos, and Palante. This year I'm pretty confident Helsley, Gallegos, Hicks, 
and Thompson will finish the season there. After that, like, I don't know, on Palante, Woodford, Rodriguez, or Verhagen. Maybe one of those guys could. Maybe none of them could. I don't know. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, you can join me tomorrow from 5 to 7 o'clock at Hooters in Fairview Heights, Illinois. You can kick off St. Patrick's Day and the college basketball tournament over at Hooters. There's going to be a bikini contest that night starting at 8 o'clock. Plus, you can enjoy their two new basketball bundles of Hooters for world-famous wings, buffalo shrimp and fries served up with an ice cold beer. It's all Friday, or excuse me, Wednesday from 5 to 7 o'clock with me at Hooters in Fairview Heights. If you've missed any of our show today, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you can go to find it. Alex, the way that we began our show today was talking about Jordan Walker and how he fits into the Cardinals future plans. The Arizona Diamondbacks recently signed their top prospect Corbin Carroll to an eight year deal worth one hundred and eleven million dollars. He's only played a hundred and a hundred at bats so far in Major League Baseball. He did so last year he was very good in those hundred at bats. I asked on Twitter to our listeners, would you be in favor of the Cardinals making that exact same offer to Jordan Walker right now before you ever see him play a Major League game? Eight years, one hundred and eleven million dollars. 75% of the votes so far are yes, 25% are no. Alex, we mentioned it earlier. Would you be in favor of them doing it? I would have a 100% support behind the Cardinals if they decided to go this route. I also don't think it's necessary. I think that the way that you operate is you say, you know what, let's find out one year. Let's see one year from Jordan Walker. And if he's great this season, next year's when you really go to the table and you try to get a long-term contract done. I'm talking like a 12-year deal where Jordan Walker for his prime is locked in and he's going to be a Cardinal for the long haul. That's what I would be in favor of doing. So if they did this, I'd be totally cool with it. I would probably wait until after the season to talk about it, though. Where would you be at? I, I would do it. And I... I- necessary i mean i don't think it's necessary but i would put a strong emphasis on getting it done because even if you go through one season he's gonna show you he's probably gonna have his ups he's gonna have his downs unless he goes out there and just puts together an mvp performance you know after one season you're like oh okay cool yeah let's lock him up i have the same feeling now that i will after the first season of jordan walker guy's gonna be a stud and he's going to be a piece of your outfield i just don't see uh, a massive decrease in what the expectations are. So I would do it, and I would put an emphasis on getting it done. I, I would not do it because what BK said, you don't have to do it right now, and you can be saving. It wouldn't be a lot, but league minimum to compare to like $3 million, which is what Carroll's making in the first year, year of that deal. And I want to see him do it at the big league level before I'm willing to commit. Am I willing to do it after year one? I understand what you're saying, but I've got to see it in year one because I, I've seen multiple times, maybe not with this high of a prospect, where a guy has some hype, has a good spring training, 
gets up to the big league, struggles, and then just never really figures it out. So I, I want to see it at the big league level for a full year before I'm willing to commit to it. So right now, I would not do it. I would also add this. If you're somebody that's rooting for Jordan Walker to make the opening day roster, I think quietly today you got something close to a confirmation that he's going to make it. The reason why is because the Cardinals decided to DFA Freddie Pacheco today. Now, you may not even be familiar with Freddie Pacheco's game. He's a depth reliever that some Cardinals fans were really excited about, had some swing and miss stuff down in the minors. He was slowed in camp by a sore elbow. The reason why you do this now, Alex, is because you're anticipating the need for a 40-man spot in the not-too-distant future. There are not a whole lot of guys that aren't currently on the 40-man roster that would need one before opening day. One of those players, Jordan Walker. You just put one of your pitchers at risk by trying to send him through waivers, and he ended up getting claimed by another team. The Detroit Tigers decided to claim Freddie Pacheco. I I think this, if you ever needed a sign with actions, not words, that Walker is expected at this point to make opening day roster, I think this was it. It's a it's a lower level move, but it's the kind of move that might be the like the smoking gun type of moment where it says, hey, we're planning on bringing Jordan Walker with us to St. Louis when we decide to break camp. I think at this point, that is the Cardinals plan, not just fans plans. It's a right move. Uh, he's done everything to showcase that he deserves to be there and you got to give him the shot. Now I tried to deny it as much as I did, but you're at the point now where you can't anymore. And it just makes sense. Put him in left field and then figure the rest out. Been a great show today. If you missed any of it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's been excellent to have T-Bone back into the mix. Excited. One day early, we'll have Can You Beat the Blues with another current blue. We're very excited two about for that. Two. Yeah. We'll do that tomorrow. We'll be out in Alton, Illinois at Max and Downtown on Thursday and Friday. It's a fun week. March Madness starting up tomorrow night. It's all going to be right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.